It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Women wrapped up in blankets and they're looking for food. It's the saddest thing I've ever witnessed. Trust is a human emotion. And for some reason, we've embedded trust in social media. I thought about you, but I did get it because you've given us so much airtime. Thank you so much. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Thank you to Fiona for yesterday. She'll be making occasional appearances. Uh, from time to time when I'm not around. Thank you. Good morning, 0818 96 96 96. The number, the text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. And the email, opinion at 96fm.ie. I missed all the row yesterday about Celtic Symphony. I had to laugh because I was watching social media for all the comments and all the actual nonsense, to be honest, that's going on about that. And then I watched it climb and climb and climb and climb and climb. And now it's number one. And could do something crazy crazy. It could actually top the British charts on Sunday. Like, it's it's mad entirely. We'll return to it. We'll talk to Brian Warfield, who wrote the song a little bit later on this morning and I'd like your thoughts on whether this whole thing is just getting ridiculously blown out of proportion uh, I've been on enough team buses on enough team flights to matches over the years to know that that song is sung harmlessly and with no intent whatsoever it's just a song and people who give out about it have probably never sat down and read the lyrics of the song we shall return to that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. But some some so, so to start something far more serious and far more immediate uh, for a family. And there must be nothing more frightening to a family than when a beloved member goes missing. Uh, Sheila, Kevin is your brother. When did you last see him? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Hi, thanks for talking to me. Yes, Kevin headed off for work on Wednesday morning. Um, said goodbye to his wife, Angela, and left at about 7.15 on Wednesday morning. And never made it into work. And we haven't seen him since. And we're desperately worried. Where does he work? 
He works in Gilead Sciences, the pharma company out in Carrigtool. Okay. So he left his home in Monkstown and he was driving his car, his blue Citroen Berlingo, which has a reg number of 172D12865. Okay. As far as we know, he's still with that car. So lots of us are out and about, you know, trying to find him and trying to spot that strange, boxy, weird, blue, is, almost like a van it? car around, um, or around Cork. Yeah, it's a strange shape of a car and being blue it is not one you'll miss. But what would what time would he normally arrive at work, Sheila? So we'd be at work at about eight okay. and then he'd leave and, and come home in the evening. Um it's completely out of character yeah. not to have you know, not to have let someone at work know if he wasn't gonna come in, of course, but absolutely not letting someone know that he wasn't, you know, gonna come home mm-hmm. or was gonna go somewhere else or not come home straight after work. So mm-hmm. incredibly out of character, which is why we're all so so worried now. I can imagine. Now if he has his car, if he's still with his car, he'd been in a position to do something like charge his phone in case anything had happened to his phone. So has anybody been able to get a response from the phone or, or pin the phone on a search, like find my iPhone, stuff, something like that? It seems like the phone's switched off, possibly has run out of charge, I'm not sure, but no messages aren't being you know, delivered mm-hmm. or read or obviously... Um, Obviously, we can't get through on the phone. I know yeah. the guards have all of those details and have been um, working with the phone company to try and ping it. We haven't heard anything from back from that yet, as far as I know. Yeah, and I, I guess people have done things like trawl CCTV for the car. Yeah, and again, the car details, the, the blue Citroen Berlingo 172D, yeah, they've been added into the system and people are looking. And there are a lot of people out and about looking sure. as well. Like, no, you Kevin's don't know. Got if the loads car, of family you, and friends. You don't know she left the car has been picked up on a CCTV anywhere since since. Not as far as we know. Not as far as, not as, far as we know. No. Yes. Yeah, he, he's he's well known enough, isn't he? Because first of all, he's known as that that the man with the beard. Uh, the minute I <laughs> well, the minute I saw his picture on Cork Bio, I said, I know him. I know his face. Such a great beard. My yeah. goodness, if I ever want to grow a beard, I wish I wish it was as luxurious and bushy as his beard yeah, is. Yeah, and I, I know I know I know that face. I know that beard, you know. Um but but um like himself and his wife, Angie, character. they work with they work with the um a lot of dog rescue charities around Cork, so yeah. the dog the Cork Action Dog Welfare Group and so on. They foster dogs, the two yeah. of them. They have four dogs at the moment mm-hmm. and they're always out fundraising and, you know, um, volunteering with the dog group. So yes, they'd be very well known yeah. across there. And Kevin's always out, you know, running around, mm-hmm. uh, running the marina, the path between Crosshaven and Cargillide, for example. He runs marathons, which is why he's so slim. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's, he's often pounding the roads. So I'm sure a lot yeah. of people have, have passed yeah. fit, passed him by at different points. Fit, healthy guy, 44 years of age, Good job, nice car, everything involved with a good charity, everything right for him. So, like you say, this is totally out of character. Totally out of character. And, yeah, we just we just want to know that he's okay. Yeah. And all of his family, he's enormous of a number of cousins, and all of his friends are out looking for him and for the car and just, just want to know that he's okay. Yeah, what's the last description of him that you have other than that car? Well, he's uh, tall, he's six foot, very slim, as you say. Um, he's got short grey hair, that big grey beard, blue eyes. Um, when he went out that morning, he was wearing khaki trousers and then a dark jumper and a shirt. Okay, okay. and he was on his way to work and, and everyone is, is desperately, 
desperately worried for his welfare. If perchance, Sheila, and look, you never know what's going on in someone's mind, or they might like need to take themselves away for for a time. It happens. Yeah. Um. If yep. if he happens to be listening. Sheila, or if anyone is listening who knows where he might be and could possibly get a message to him, what would the family be want to say? We miss you so much and love you so much. We just want to know that you're okay. Please just let us get in touch and let us know. Yeah, we have his and picture. And if anybody knows anything, please, um, it's Toker Garda Station who are looking after it, or any Garda Station, if anybody has any information or thinks they've seen that car. His picture is up on our Twitter someone. now. Uh, the car. The, Thanks so much. The car is a blue Citroen Berlingo, like you say, a big box of a car. You can't miss them. One seven two D one two eight six five. Is it the van yeah. style or the car style? It's the van shaped with windows. It oh, looks like a, a minivan car. I got you. Yeah, I got you. Okay, because a lot of the a lot of the Berlingos are actually vans, but this is the car version mm. of it. This okay. is the unusual car version yeah, of the okay. windows. Yeah, it doesn't fair look fair. like a commercial van. Fair enough. And I, I take it that none of the friends and contacts in DAWG have heard anything from him, no? No, they're all, they're looking, they're spreading information there. We're so grateful to them and to yeah. the Guardi and Cork Search and Rescue for... Yeah for all their efforts so far every everyone is doing their absolute best so he left home quarter to quarter to eight it was uh, you said on Wednesday morning about about seven I think it was close seven. to seven, seven on Wednesday morning seven yeah. Wednesday morning and his normal route would be I believe he takes the ferry across okay the crossroad from um, Passage West Mugstown okay and then drive to Cartool but there are other routes that, that are yeah. possible too it would be, it would be fa- that would be the fastest way for him He's likely mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah. He'll go yeah. across on that. Um, and you don't know whether he was seen getting onto the ferry or getting off the ferry or I anything like don't know that. No, okay. no, we don't know. Okay, okay. Well, the, the, the number and description are out there. If anybody knows anything that can help, uh, they can. And even if someone knows anything that they don't want to talk to the guards about, they can call us, they can call me, and we'll pass it through. We'll, make, we'll look after it. All right. And Kevin. Thank you, Peter. Kevin, if you happen to be listening and you just want to let the family know you're all right, you can text me too. All right. Thanks so much. Kevin, let me know. I, 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 as I said, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know you or this guy above you, but I know you to see that big beard of yours. Um, if, if you're all right, if, there's anything, if you want to pass on a message, if you just want to tell us all to go away and give us some space for a while, that's fine. <laughs> just, just, just let us know. All right. Cheers, Sheila. My best to everybody. Thanks so much, Peter. Thanks take, so much. Thank take, you. Take care. So the car is a blue Citroen Berlingo, the car style. So many Berlingos out there are vans. I know this because I drove one one time. So many of them are vans. But this is a blue Citroen Berlingo car. And the reg is 172D12865. 172D12865. He left his home. He would normally go over on the Cross River Ferry. So if you were on that ferry early Wednesday morning, saw a blue Citroen get on or get off the other side, he would normally head to work in Tool. He didn't turn up at work in Tool that morning and he hasn't been seen since. If anybody can help, call the Garda station Toker at 494-7120, the Garda Confidential, 1-800-666-111. You can call us at 0818-969696. Anything to help his family, to help Angela, to help Sheila, and to help his many, many friends and co-volunteers with DA.
WG. Corks 96 FM's Son, Samba and Styles. We want to send you and a friend to see Harry Styles live in Rio. Live in Rio. You know it's not the same as it was. Five nights in Brazil with flights, hotel, spending money and tickets to Harry Styles Love on Tour December 8th. You're so Listen for the hits of Harry from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. weekdays for your chance to win. For your chance to win. We've been doing all this late night talking. Win your way to Harry Styles live in Rio. Very excited to see you on the show. On Cork's 96 FM. Now to uh, Lisa on line one. Morning, Lisa. Any news since we con- you contacted us first? Uh, with regard to your husband, good morning. Good morning, good morning, PJ. Um, actually, I literally spoke to him before we came on, and um, he's been told he's he's going to get a bed. Okay. Um, so I don't know if, if somebody has influenced that because there's such a huge number of people waiting for beds there. But obviously, we're very grateful for the situation. Okay. So what's what's been happening? He he was sick when. So Monday. Monday morning, he had abdominal pains um, that got really, really bad. And then Tuesday night, he couldn't take it any longer. So um, we live in Bally de Hob, and So our nearest kind of hospital is Bantry. Um, so we went straight to Bantry Hospital. And obviously, there's, there's minimal things they can do there because they rely heavily on Cork University Hospital for pretty much everything. Um, but they put him in an observation room, took some blood, um, given a CT scan and he basically stayed there waiting for people in Cork University Hospital, the, the surgeons, to look at the results. Um, nothing was looked at until 7 o'clock um, the following day um, and basically they decided they needed to put him in a, an ambulance and send him to Cork University Hospital um, there was a bed for him, apparently. Um, he was going to meet the surgeon. And there was a chance he was going to have to go into emergency surgery because what they diagnosed him with is called diverticulitis, which is like um, inflamed pouches yeah. in, in, in the stomach. And it means it's one of them bursts. Dreadfully painful situation, yes. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard of it until now, but um, but I, I know that kind of the risks are, are potential sepsis. So they were very worried. Yeah. Um, so we arrived at uh, uh, CUH and the, the paramedic had already indicated that it was unlikely that he was going to get a bed. When, um, when did he get to CUH? Uh, nine o'clock yesterday. Nine o'clock yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having, having gone to Bantry, when? Monday evening? Yeah, uh, Tuesday evening. Tuesday evening, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, basically when he got there... Um, he was told by, by the, the people in charge that um, there was 34 people waiting for a bed. Um, and he was basically shown this pod. I've sent a photograph of it to, to your, um, your colleague, Fergal. Yeah. Um, and literally, it's a, it's, a, it's a chair in a kind of stainless steel pod yeah. with, a, with a drip. It's a and hope, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And... It turns out, obviously, you get chatting, and he'd spoken to a number of other people in that area. There's about 50 of them. And people have been in there for over a week, um, just sitting on a chair, no bed. They can't move because, you know, if they want to get, they're going to have to bring the drip with them. 
um, they can't get access to, to drinks or anything. They're just kind of limited to that particular space. And that's pretty much where he's been the whole time in agony. Um, I'm phoning Bantry to find out what's going on because they had promised us the bed. They're saying, you know, well, it's, it's now Cork University Hospital's charge. Um, Cork is saying there's nothing we can do because this is just the state of the HSC. Um, and, you know, full respect to all the staff and the yeah. nurses, what have you, they are stretched beyond belief. Um, there's a couple of issues raised from this. Obviously, there's the severe concern about Jamie's situation and, and here's hoping that he'll get well very soon now that he's got a bed. But the idea that a hospital in Bantry, which has been there since forever, yeah. can't assess, can't give basic treatment, can't, can do very little no. for your husband. Uh, down in the heart of West Cork, he's in severe pain and the hospital in Bantry and no no harm to them. They just don't have the equipment or the staff exactly. to, to begin to tackle what's wrong with him. That's that's ridiculous in 2022. Yeah. It is. And you know what's even funnier? Like, we, we um, I'm Irish born. Uh, I lived in London for a long time. We moved back just before COVID. And at the time we moved over in early 2020, um, they, they were considering closing Bantry, Medi- uh, Bantry General Hospital. So even the minimal the limited oh. kind of services we have now. They were trying to get rid of the hospital completely. Lisa, a, there's been a sword, and the HSE don't like me saying this, I don't actually care. There's been a sword over that hospital. Really? And a dagger pointed at that hospital for ages now, and you can never get a word of reassurance, of reassurance about its future. And I, yeah. I, I know they don't like me saying that at the HSE, I couldn't care less. Yeah. Um, because that, 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 it's, it's an absolute public disgrace that here is a hospital the heart of West Cork that doesn't have the equipment or the staff yeah. or to, to, to bring your husband's pain under control. Exactly. exactly. And like the minimum you want from life is, is, is health, right? Whatever else is going on in the world, you know, it's easy to get, you know, HSC fatigue, if you like, because there's always an issue. And, you know, over the years, it's just gone downhill. But at what point do we as a nation just say, hang on a minute? This is a minimum, as a first world country, yeah. this is the minimum we need, is a proper working health service. You, know, you, uh, you, you said you spent how many years, 20 years in the UK? Yeah. So you'd be pretty used to the... Um, the NHS. To the NHS. Like, yeah. would, would you would you be in, in, in a populous place like West Cork with lots of villages in town? Would you yeah. be an hour and a half's drive for a major? Absolutely not. No. Not unless you lived in the Highlands of Scotland. But, um, and I'm and sure they'd, they'd probably have chopper for it. you. Probably, yeah. No, no, no. Like, people complain, obviously everyone complains about stuff and, yeah. you know, there'll always be someone who'll complain about the NHS, but oh my God, yeah. you know, it's a service that, you know, is the jewel of that, that, that country's crown, in fairness. And to be fair as well, look, Bantry, uh, as I said, Bantry's been appallingly treated by, 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 by HSE management for a long time now, but so too have the staff yeah. at CUH who are run off their feet and they're absolutely brilliant. In fact, yeah. you're, we're talking just on the back of a, a report from HICWA, which you might have seen. You probably didn't. You're too busy worried about Jamie. <laughs> but but um, they, they said some patients were waiting 58 hours for admission. Like, that's two and a half days yeah. to get into the hospital. It's just not good enough. So, how, you, so you've, you've heard from him this morning. How is his pain? It's still the same. 
Um, he's been on overnight. He's been on that constant drip, um, the antibiotic drip. He'll be on this antibiotic drip now for the next three days, maybe five, depending on how he recovers. Mm. If he doesn't recover, then he'll go to surgery. Um, so we're kind of just waiting for the next few days. And, mm. you know, I'm just I'm happy he's in the right place because, yeah. you know, obviously I wouldn't like him to be at home because he was deliberating and coming home. And I'm like, that's so silly. But um, You but, seem um, like he might want to, though, don't you? Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, but, what, um, you, what age is he? He's, he's 50. 50. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And he, would he be in generally good health? Yes, very much so. Yeah. I think you're you're a bit stuck as well because you can't drive. Yeah. So I know that sounds weird because I'm also fifty. Uh, but I've we've lived like my husband, you know, is half Irish, his dad's Irish, um, and we've lived in central London for twenty five years, and so I've never really needed to drive. And then I came back here, obviously before COVID, and then COVID hit, and my intentions to get you know the lessons and the license and what have you were delayed. Um, but now I'm completed my lessons and I'm on a three-month waiting list for a driving test. <laughs> Welcome home, Lisa. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I miss you guys so much. <laughs> Listen, get, get, look, he's in the right place. He's got good people around him. The people at CUH yeah. are absolutely brilliant once they can get to you. And yeah. once they've got time in their ridiculous schedules to get to you, they're absolutely yeah. brilliant. They'll take yeah. care of him. They'll yeah. mind yeah. him. Uh, and he'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, I just, I just think you know. I know it's a big, big thing, but I just think the government as a whole, uh, and just as a, with fresh eyes coming back, if you yeah, like, yeah. they, they have the priorities all wrong. They, they, their eyes are like are over uh, things outside of Ireland. You know, the, the whole country needs an overhaul, and it has to start with the health system. Well, if you look at it, Lisa, we, we've talked so much on this program, you probably missed it, you know, over the years, about, about how everything, everything is getting funneled into CUH, and yet you have a fabulous hospital down there in Bantry, left, yeah. and I, I, I say this, and I, I don't care who I'm offending in the HSE, left to rot, yeah, and the great people there, just left to rot, yeah. And the doctors down there in Bantry have been saying this. And on this yeah. program, they've been saying it. The hospital has been left to rot. Mallow left to rot. Other hospitals around the country left to rot. They could be doing things like taking care of Jamie. Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't know what the HSE are doing in that respect. Like, we've just had an outgoing CEO who was paid handsomely for his time and celebrated when he left. Um, quite frankly, I don't know why. And now we have a new... He's paid more than the president, actually. Do you know me? He's paid more yeah, than the president. I didn't, I didn't, but that doesn't surprise me. And for a job of that calibre and responsibility, they should be called to action. Yeah. That's the way I see it. Okay, okay. listen, our best, our best to, to Jamie. Thank you. All right. Thank He's you so much. Fingers crossed for him. And fingers crossed that someone will give you a lift up to see him as well. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Down in Bantry, somebody probably will. They probably will. There is a phone tree going on in Ballydehob, so yeah, I think I'm all right. But, um, but yeah, but thank you for the for this opportunity to to talk about this. Take Please care, I appreciate take care, it. Lisa, and our best our best to Jamie and, and the staff in CUH are CUH just brilliant. They'll do everything they can for him. They just run off their feet. There's not enough of them, and the wires are crazy. Again, this morning, this ridiculous statistic uh, comes up in the context of that HICWA inspection. The HICWA inspection that found. Some patients in emergency departments were waiting 58 hours for admission. I see Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, is looking for the same team that went into Limerick to go into Cork and try and sort out what's going wrong.
And in the context of that comes up this statistic. It kind of gets brushed over. I don't know why it does. It takes over 500 days. 500 days. That's a year and a half. Damn near a year and two thirds to replace a consultant. So if a a consultant announces today that they're leaving to go on somewhere else, it'll be 500 days before their replacement walks into a ward and takes a stethoscope out of their pocket. Like, what the hell is all that about? 0818 96 96 96. Now, this dominated far too much conversation, I thought, over the last 48 hours. I remember we were talking here on Wednesday about the fantastic result of the match and the excitement and the buzz of going to the World Cup. And then, during that morning, this video emerged, and then... Vera Powell, God help her, had to go out and apologise. And then the players, the FAI, had to apologise. And then this poor misfortunate girl was wheeled out, Chloe, was wheeled out to to some idiot in in Sky Sports who started lecturing her about about history. And, And it's just gotten thoroughly unpleasant. And then yesterday, UEFA are now investigating this incident. I mean, come on, like. Okay. No. You know, I know a, a little bit about Irish folk music because I've had the privilege of working with my great friend Roy Buckley on the Song Collector Sessions for, for many years. And I, I've learned one thing about Irish folk music. Listen to the bloody record. Listen to the lyrics. Brian, Warfield, Brian Warfield of the Wolf Tones, you wrote that song. It's nothing to do with the IRA. It's about graffiti uh, on a wall in Glasgow, Brian. Morning. Good morning to you. And uh, I just think it's an absolute disgrace, uh, may I add, that I, I, I'm calling everybody around Ireland to call on the FAI to apologise to these young ladies. Because the fact is that, you know, they should never be put in that situation. The, the FAI should know, they should have a, a, some kind of a, a PR person to go out there and talk on the behalf of them. It's not their job to go out there after winning a World Cup uh, with the exuberance well, well, let's of not the, jump ahead of ourselves. They qualified for a World Cup, and I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll have some sing-song well, yeah. when they win it, though. But yeah, so the, the, I was I was amazed when I saw that young girl being wheeled out onto Sky Sports, Chloe, being wheeled out onto Sky they, Sports to to speak on behalf of the team. Like, that's, that's not right. No, they should have a PR person to handle those situations and never, ever put their players in that situation at all. They should apologise to the girls. I believe one of the girls was crying when 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 they were attacked over this by the FAI, by the people in the FAI, who should be grateful to these young girls because they're going to put the FAI into the spotlight across the world mm. and women's football. Now, how can you be so cruel? Right. To can I talk? Can I talk to you about the song? I mean, you 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 wrote it. You you had a number one with it. It looks like you're going to have another number one this weekend as a result of it. The song is about growing up in a divided Glasgow, is it not? Yeah. Well, you see, the song goes back to about 1984, and uh, I was asked by the um, by the, the one of the directors of Glasgow Celtic Football Club. 
uh, to write a song for the 100th anniversary, which was coming up in 1988. And I said, you're giving me a big task here. What am I, what have I got no idea of what I was going to, and how I was going to present the song. So I'm thinking about it for a good long time, uh, obviously. And, uh, you know, I'm walking through Glasgow and I see this graffiti on the wall. Now, the graffiti on the wall said, uh, up the cells, up the cells, we're magic, we're magic, all that kind of stuff. Celtic, Celtic, all that kind of stuff. And uh, as part of that graffiti was, ooh, ah, up the ra. Yeah. Now, okay, I put it all into the song because this, I'm painting pictures and words here. And I'm trying to tell a story about the connection between Ireland and, and the, the Glasgow Celtic supporters. Now, we know throughout the ages that uh, the people and the Irish diaspora in Glasgow have been very supportive in every struggle we had in Ireland across the centuries. Hmm. It goes back to 1798. And, and, and in 1848, uh, uh, Darcy McGee went to Glasgow trying to get volunteers to come back for the, the rising of 48. Yep. So we know the connection between the practically every every Premiership football fan that I know, Brian, you know, Celtic is their second team. Oh, absolutely, and it's great that we have a connection with our uh, diaspora across in Glasgow because they've been very yeah. supportive of everything Irish. So, and uh, what's going on here? I think myself, and I'm I, I, as I said, I, I, I have had the privilege through my great friend Roy, who you know. Um, did, did, to, to learn a little bit about Irish folk music. And one thing I've learned is read the blasted lyrics and understand the context in which they were written. This That's was right. a football song. It's basically a football song, nothing else. And the fact that it does mention that... Now, you know, how can this... I know it was the DUP MLA that uh, made the first complaint to the UFA uh, uh, or to the FIFA... And they should not get away with us because they are uh, blaspheming these girls and my song as well, and saying it's a it's a kind of a supporting a terrorist group. It's not. Yeah. It's it's not, that's not the meaning of the song. It's a football song, telling about the connection between Ireland and Glasgow Celtic. Yeah. Yeah. Now nothing could be plainer in the song, and in the song, like you know what it is. Uh, a sailor guy from Glasgow meets up with the devil, and um, when he meets the, when he meets the devil, uh, the devil wants to t- uh, wants this Glasgow s- sailor man uh, to take him to paradise and to take him to the jungle. Now the Celtic supporter is not going to take the devil to the jungle. I was in the jungle many a time. Yeah. It's the old stand uh, in Celtic Park, and that's where all the main support went in the end of the day, sure. and they were the the most vocal part of the Celtic supporters. The hallowed so turf. He the hallowed the, turf. He doesn't really even take him to uh, Celtic Park, to the jungle. He takes him Africa, Borneo, you know, Tokyo, all the big jungles of the world, concrete and uh, green. So, you know, that's what the song is about. <laughs> and, you know, for people who don't know, as you rightly pointed out, I think that people have no understanding of the words of what the song is about. Now, I think both FIFA and UEFA should be made aware of this song. And a PR person should be out there not allowing this to happen, not mm. allowing it to get this far. Well, it, it, has, has, gone, it has gone this far, and now they're being yeah. investigated by UEFA. 
investigated, and I, I'm going to want to be investigated as part of that investigation. I'm the author of this song, and I have a responsibility to explain what it's all about. I don't want some unionist politician uh, just offhand saying, oh, this is a terrorist song, or this is supporting... It's not. No, it's a fo- because it's... Because of one one line that I said is on a bloody wall. Yeah, it's a, it's a football song. It's a football song, yeah. and and a cheer. That's exactly a, a, a cheerle- it's a cheerleading song. Actually, is what it is. Brian, a pleasure to speak with you as always. Uh, and haven't seen you in a few years now, but worked worked with Brian on a few on a few song collector sessions gigs, and, and a great song. And I remember playing it as a DJ. And if I played it once, I played it a hundred times. I played it at weddings. I played it at christenings. I played at engagements. I played at practically at divorce parties, you know? Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. There's only one playlist you need in the afternoons in Cork. It is brilliant. It has these guys. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. Hi, this is Billie Eilish. What's happening, everybody? It's Tom Guerin. Always dishing out the excitement with big giveaways. <laughs> So in the afternoons, in Cork, if you're at work, in the car, or just out walking the dog, what have you got to do? Say Cork 96 FM. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With Sky VIP. At Sky, everyone's a VIP. Visit the VIP section of the My Sky app to discover your rewards. On Cork's 96 FM. Kevin, thanks for holding your no thoughts worries, on this whole... You're, you're more of a football fan. I'd be more of a music fan. Well, I was listening to that, and I swear it just brought floods of memories of uh, being in the Highland in Newmarket and that song being played and the dance floor filling up. I everyone played that myself, Kevin. <laughs> everyone like lunatics. But listen, I support... I'm not a massive Celtic fan. I'm a Liverpool fan. Mm-hmm. And we were playing Rangers in the Champions League the other night. Uh, the other night, and that song was sung by Liverpool fans, two Rangers fans, purely on banter, because of the connection between Liverpool and Celtic. UEFA aren't going to investigate us. Not a hope in hell. You know, in fairness, of all the things UEFA should be investigating, with bananas being thrown on pitches of black players in Italy, and all the racist stuff that's yeah. being chanted in yeah. grounds across Eastern Europe, a song being sang in a dressing room in Glasgow after an international win is not on their radar whatsoever. And the only reason it's on their radar is because the Sky Sports News presenter decided to haul an Irish international, Chloe McCaskill, or Mustaki, over the coals and... Well, no, she was put in front of him. Yes. You know, and and whoever put her in front of him. Well, the FAI issued an apology. The Irish team manager issued an apology. The players issued a, a collective apology. Now, she was put up in front of him and the interview was patronising, to say the least, because the same Sky, Sky Sports News on their Twitter feed didn't put out a tweet about, the, about Ireland qualifying. No. The, the only time that they tweeted about Ireland in any context when it comes to women's football was this. And that, that tweet that he put out basically said, there is a need for education surrounding Irish history in the interview today. I was like, What? I was like, okay, now you crossed the line. You know, yes. Now you made this go viral. And that's all he did. Because of that interview, it went viral. That video now has had 5 million views. Yes. Okay, and it has, out of all of the views, it has 4,101 likes as of now. 
So, I like, hang on, I know Twitter. Sky is a, a following of 11.6 million followers. So when Sky put out a tweet like that, it's going to go viral. It's going to get attention. And it would have, this would have gone away the day after. And we'd be rightly talking about Ireland going to the World Cup next year. Absolutely. And everyone would be clamoring for tickets and credit union loans and what have you and booking time off work. To, or go, We're going in late in the morning because the game's on at 8 o'clock. We'll come in at lunchtime kind of thing. We'd yes. all be making plans. Now we're into Friday and we're still talking about a song. You've literally had the guy who wrote the damn thing yeah. and he told you. You know, you don't need me to tell you. I'm just saying from a football context. Sky won't mention this to Declan Rice when Declan Rice was on no. video singing the exact no. same words and, and, when they're interviewing him. And would that guy have put a question like that to Declan Rice he or would, to Roy Keane? There's no way. Well, that would be a good one because Roy Keane is a pundit on Sky Sports very regularly now. And I'd be interested... If I wonder, will someone bring it up, Kev? You're right. Well, so- he was on Monday Night Football with Jamie Carragher the other night, and he was asked... They were doing the, like, the end of the night, and they asked the roundabout questions about what's the best fo- sporting event in the world Hurling, you've ever been yeah. to? Roy Keane, the All-Ireland Hurling Final, and it's better when Cork's in it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Go and ask Roy and see see how see. far you get. With, see how far you get, and because Roy will go through you for a shortcut, like you know, and he wouldn't think twice about it. And he probably reversed it on this occasion. Kevin, I want I want to get to Aaron as well, and maybe to Noel too if I've got some time. Thanks, Kev. Aaron, I know you and I don't always agree, but you're with me here. Morning. Morning. How are you? You agree with me? Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. Like didn't I, didn't disagree with any word you said. I think it's just been blown all out of proportion. And if it was the men's team, they wouldn't get the backlash. Yeah. Now, I will read out Ingrid's message here, and, and it's important. I shall read it out after. It's, it's not fair to get you to, to answer to it, but I will read it in just a second. But, but like, you, you, you understand the context in which they were singing it. They were celebrating it. They were singing a football anthem, correct? Yes, but I also think now that they have to stop using their bloody mobile phones and bringing in camera crew to the dressing room. Yeah, there was a time when what happened in the dressing room stayed in the dressing room. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't even put a foot wrong these days and you're, you're nearly hauled up. They want a death sentence on you. Do you know, I'm only, I'm only waiting for someone to want to cancel me because I've defended the, the girls. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. Right, to get to Noel. Before I go to Noel, let me read this. Give me 10 seconds, Noel. Ingrid says, I'm speaking as the wife of someone who had an eye and an arm lost in a nail bombing. Under no circumstances should anyone ever say, up the ra. You should see someone's face after a nail bomb. Maybe the girls didn't know what they were doing, but everyone should stop talking about it and making it okay. Ingrid, thank you for that. And that puts a certain context on this to which we must pay attention. Uh, Would you accept that, Noel? Morning. Morning. Would you accept what, what Ingrid is saying? We must put a context on it in terms of people who have been hurt by the actions of, of the IRA in the past. Uh, well, well, in, first of all, no, uh, PJ, that um, the author of the song was on with Julia a few minutes ago. And he, and he has clearly stated that it's a sporting song. It has nothing to do with the IRA. So I think that woman... Um, maybe should learn more about the song and the lyrics. Yeah. I know, I know look, she's, got, she's got she's got her own reasons to to, to yeah. resent the actions of the IRA, and she's hundred oh, yes. percent right well, in that. Well, but the song well, isn't a, the song isn't about that. 
Yeah, but the song is not about the IRA. Like, I mean, the counteract about the nail bombs. Well, we don't want to be going back down the road, let's, like, look, of, of well, that, the innocent not, people, you know. Let's not, let's, let's not do that then. Let's not let's yeah. not open that old, that old argument. Yeah, old, old wound. Let's move on, like. But as regards the song, though, and Sky Sports and all that, but well, what the Sky Sports presenter said and the way he questioned the other soccer player, needs to be taken to task and Sky Sports people in Ireland who are subscribed to Sky Sports in protest against that interview should now cancel all their subscription to Sky Sports and I guarantee you Sky Sports won't be long climbing down and getting that presenter to apologise, yeah. not alone to, to, to the soccer players to the whole Irish football team and to, and do, 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 to do the Irish think, people Do you think Noel that he would have asked such a question of Roy Keane? Hope it is as now as the saying goes like uh, I wouldn't like to be uh, in in the Sky presenter's shoes in asking any team like that towards Roy Keane or I would even say maybe to um to, the, to any fellow Cockman because uh, they'd get their answer back. And <laughs> and I tell you one thing, it wouldn't be ooh up the dry if you pardon the pun. I do, I do, Noel. Thank you. Oh, 818 96, 96, 96. The writer of the song should sue for def- defamation with people saying his song is an IRA song. I was listening to a station in Dublin who blew this out of all proportion. Absolute rubbish! It's being investigated that that it's being investigated about the girls singing the Wolf Tone song. Looking forward to going to their concert at the end of the month. People need to get a grip. It's a song. They can sing it if they want. It's a joke. John says, "Make it the Irish entry for the Eurovision and we'll walk it." Eurovision coming up later, by the way. We're looking at people's hobbies and we're going to focus on why Eurovision is such a thing for. For so many people, that's later. This wouldn't have happened if it was the men's team, says Deirdre. Fair play, PJ, was waiting for someone with a pair of, thank you, on the radio, you play soccer with them, on the radio to play the song and stand up for the girls. Well, to be honest, I've played the song, as I said, I've played this, and unlike some commentators on radio the last few days, I've actually played the song a thousand times at gigs. I know the context of it. All we're hearing is up the ra and thinking the worst. Well, that's true too. People don't listen. They don't know the song. Sky only worried about their name as they're our woman's team sponsor. They don't know what it means. They were celebrating for goodness sake, says this message. Do people really think they stopped to analyse the words? Of course they didn't. Another message from Sarah. We shouldn't be silenced on this. These group of fantastic girls have achieved something so wonderful... And yet they're being painted now as IRA supporters. Absolute bull. I can safely say I've belted out the song countless times through my teens and twenties and I've never once thought let's sing a song about the IRA. The wolf tones are great. And also, why shouldn't we sing songs about our history? Not to mention that a lot of those moaning about this are the same people who are burning in burning tricolours only a few weeks ago. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, we're magic, we're magic, and that we are. You'll never beat the Irish, says Sarah. And, and there's the whole thing. Why were they singing the song? Because it says, we're magic. We're magic, we're magic. Graffiti on the wall says, we're magic, we're magic. They had just qualified for the World Cup. What the hell else were they? Except magic. I was watching it 
Grown men were crying the other night. Grown men and grown women were crying. I know. I, I had tears in my eyes watching Denise and watching Katie and watching the, and, and watching the, 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 oh, the replays of Amber's goal. You, know, you had tears in your eyes watching it. We're going to the flipping World Cup. Of course we're magic. Let's sing a song that says we're magic. Just to make a point, my husband is English. When he moved over here 20 years ago, he was horrified to find out the history of our country because in England, Irish history isn't in the curriculum. Yeah, gotcha. So I wonder who needed the history lesson. I think it's that Sky presenter. I know people who've taught both history and geography. Cork people who've taught both history and geography in the UK. And and one thing they all said is the English kids haven't a notion of Irish history. Not a clue. Because it's not taught to them. And what is taught to them is almost entirely revised, shall we say. 0818 96 96 96. We're going to the World Cup. Of course we're flipping magic. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96 FM. Ton of stuff still coming in about that Celtic Symphony song. I tell you, the first time I played that song as a DJ years ago, I I'm, I'm, I introduced it as Celtic Symphony, and I nearly got scalped over it because there was a big Celtic supporters group in the room, and they lectured me as to how it was Celtic and absolutely not Celtic. Celtic. So, it's a football song. I'll come back to it. I will have more of your comments during the morning. We might get one or two more callers on the air if you have anything to say about this ongoing controversy, which looks like the Wolf Tones will now have a number one this weekend. In fact, if you look at the iTunes chart, they've got a couple of places already in the top ten with different versions of the song. It was before that, it was it was Ooh Ah Paul McGrath during Italian 90. It became, and in the 80s, it had been Ooh Ah Cantona. Do you remember that? Yeah. 0818 96 96 96. Now to other things. A medical world first. The transplanting of an intestine from one person to another. It, it's a new type of transplant. They call it an asystolic donation transplant. Meaning that the donor had not actually died before the transplant takes place. That That's my understanding from watching the news reports. That it was at, almost at the point of death or before the point of death, the donor, to keep the organ, the vital precious organ alive, that's how it was done. And this was done in Spain where they are world leaders in the research and the practice of 
um, transplant surgery. They're global leaders in Spain. And this happened in Madrid in the La Paz Hospital. And uh, the recipient of the organ was a little baby called Emma, aged one. And what an awful lot of the news media missed, national media missed, was that Emma's family are from Cork. And Helen is her nana and joins me now. Morning, Helen. How are you? Oh, buenas, because you're in Spain for years. Good morning, good morning. Uh, Spain since the year 1974, 48 years ago. So I am no more Spanish than Irish. <laughs> well, buenas dias. Como estas? Buenos dias. Muchas gracias. Nerviosa. Fantastic. Muy nerviosa. And you listen to us all the time out there. Tell me about Emma, because this not only is this a world medical force, but she's a very special little girl. A lovely little girl, a very nice little girl. And she is absolutely thriving at the moment. Fantastic. Mm. Fully recovered, fully recovered. Tell me her story. She doesn't know. She, how how, her soon, story how was, soon in her, into her young life did, did she know there was a problem? That's, that's it. When Anna, the mother, was about eight months pregnant, they diagnosed that the bowl was just a little bit short, just and that was it. And they said, don't worry, when the baby is born, uh, a little operation and everything okay. Of course, the baby was born and it, it, it complicated. Right. The, the bowl itself was not short, but ultra, ultra short, right. which means that naturally a transplant was the only way out, the only way. She was in hospital, PJ, for at least six months after birth. And she had four operations before the transplant. Mm. Four. And, 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 and this is unsuccessful like, naturally. She's the first ever to receive this kind ever. of transplant. And they've been researching on it for, for They have years. been researching. Exactly. The same team that operated on her recently were researching for only three years, which is very little. And Emma, was her, her case was so deteriorated that they had no choice but to put that system into practice. They said, look, we're going to try it. The possibilities are, it's a very risky operation because of all the transplants, the bowel is the one that has the highest risk of failure. Yes, yes, because you, but, you, you, it's a living organ. You have to transplant It's a living organ, it right. It's living, yeah. And not only did she have the liver transplant, she had the spleen transplant, the liver, the bowel, and the pancreas, of course. So it was a very heavy transplant, as My you can imagine. Goodness, I didn't yeah, know. It all happened so suddenly. It happened almost, so suddenly. They almost said. rebuilt her entire little system. Completely, completely. We got back a new baby, a new baby. This is the work of the geniuses, Helena Sullivan. It was because it was um, the donor's death, as you said yourself, was programmed. It was programmed. It means that the organ had to be, uh, the organ to be transplanted couldn't deteriorate in the meantime. So everything was so quick and they had to sign naturally an oath yeah. uh, that naturally if the, it wasn't successful or whatever. So it, it, it was uh, the worst day of our lives mm-hmm. and at the same time the best day. The donor is someone who was yeah. going to die and, and, and that and was you, inevitable. Exactly. Exactly, but in the order was programmed, to, it, it was it, inevitable. In, inevitable, that's the word I was looking for. In terms of the transplant science, the intestine has to be removed before the moment of death because deterioration begins exactly. immediately. Exactly, okay. and they kept it alive until Emma arrived. I see. Exactly. 
I see. And, how, and, and then it took how, 14 hours in the operating oh, theatre, 14 hours. How frightened was but Nana it, when all this was it, going It's off, waiting, waiting outside, waiting, any news. And then the baby was four days in the intensive care. My goodness. Without knowing was it a success, without knowing uh, would she have, so the most important was that she had no rejection, whatever, no rejection to that's the amazing. transplant, no side effects, that's nothing. Amazing. That's amazing. So that's why it's been successful. It could have been a PJ, it could have been the other way around. It could have been uh, rejection and back in again. And so the surgeons are delighted with their breakthrough because this is a breakthrough for other patients it with is. the same. It is, and when she, she because the bowel she, is the most delicate organ, the, yeah. the spleen was okay, the the the, the liver it was perfect. All these organs from the same baby. It, all the organs are from the same baby. Oh my God! Oh this yeah. Is, this is astonishing science. Like your your little granddaughter Helen will be. Yeah. On Number documentaries, one. she will be in documentaries. She, you know, she is. I know all the magazines, Health Magazine, New York Times. She'd be used to teach. Be, yeah. Oh, man. It's, tell me, now you went over there in the late 70s to open a language school. 1974. 1974. Tell me. When Franco was alive in Spain, the hardest times you could write uh, this country. Yes, yes. I, I saw Franco himself. I actually met him before he died. Did you? Yeah, and times are very hard. Can you imagine, PJ, tough times, a different language, even though I did study Spanish for the Juni cert and the Leaving cert and the yeah. Operating Corps. <laughs> and why did you move, yeah. Helen? Well, can you imagine my husband is Spanish? I see. I have three sons. <laughs> They're all born in Spain as well. I see. So, I just had, I had no choice. I went over thinking I was going to, like they say, the American dream. I can't. I couldn't come back. Then I'd be a failure. So I had to go through with it. I know. <laughs> Very tough at the beginning. I can tell you, there were no. There was no Irish, no foreign, nobody, only myself. I know. The language here, English, was forbidden, as you can imagine, with Franco, a dictator. Yes. So I waited, and as soon of, as he actually, died, I'm glad you said that, Helen. <laughs> a lot of people forget that, and it was a friend of mine who teaches English yeah. in Spain told me that. He said, actually, under Franco, you were not allowed oh. to speak English in the street. No way. No, wow. Not at all. So I gave a few private classes, uh, hidden, yeah. <laughs> hidden at home in my house. And no, unbelievable, he died. I always remember in November and December, he'd queue outside the door. All the Spanish wanted their <laughs> English classes then. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so a complete change. So Emma, Emma is your is your granddaughter. Um, is is she your 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 son's baby or your daughter's baby? My son's my son's baby. I have three sons. Okay. My son's baby. My second granddaughter. Oh great! And and obviously his his wife is Spanish, is she? His wife is Spanish, Anna. She works actually in the hospital as well. So ah, right. That's what happened at the beginning. She was born in by the lead because Anna worked in that hospital in by the lead. So the baby was born there, and when they discovered that they, she had an ultra, uh, the the. the her organ, the bowl, etc. She was shifted straight away to Madrid. Yes. And then to the La Paz. La Paz in Madrid is the most famous hospital in Europe where it's they a, get all these transplants. It's a very famous transplant hospital. I was only reading about it this morning. It's very famous, yeah. Number one, number one in Spain. So if she wasn't successful in that hospital, there was no, no other solution. There was no other way out, no yeah. other way. So we had to go through it all. So all in all, she's been in hospital eight months. And you know, Helen, aren't they, aren't they wonderful people? Not just transplant doctors. Fantastic. Not no, just, no, no. But the Fantastic. ones who do it on little babies. I mean, 
Aren't they brilliant? Oh my God. Outstanding, outstanding. Each one gave a press conference there in Australia and in Argentina, all over. And they're so human. So, as my son said, they came to see the baby every day upstairs, downstairs. They, it, even the, the, the chief surgeon came in. He said, this is part of me. It's my, he nearly considered it to be his property, naturally, because he saved her life, as you can imagine. Yes. He saved all our lives. He gave us all back a little quality of life, which we hadn't. We no quality that's at all. That's wonderful. That's, and it was very hard, I imagine, with a sick little baby in hospital for, for months on end. Very hard. And living in Segovia, coming and going, uh, trying to keep the show on the road. Yeah. Good days, bad days, blood transfusions. Once a month, she had to have a blood transfusion because she was deteriorating, as you can imagine. She was fading. Were you ever worried away. she wouldn't make it, Helen? We did, of course, yeah. And even t- uh, definitely... We knew it. She was fading, fading, two kilos and a half. Oh my! In the end, so they've been fading. So this was this was a miracle, a miracle. Fantastic. Is she is she still in hospital or is she home? No, no, she's at home now with six kilos. Ah, brilliant. Six kilos. She's after gaining three kilos since the transplant. Can you believe that? And when was it, Helen? When when was the surgery? She, the trans. The surgery was in Nobuyasilafetcha. No, I I know you won't believe me, but we can't say the dates or times just in case the donor is... I under, oh, I so thank We you. can't say the dates, times, or, the, or, or was it just a in case, ago, but it then, doesn't matter. Was it days or weeks I don't ago? Think it was, a few months ago, three months oh, ago, three or four months ah, ago. Ah, very good. Ah, great. Ah, that's... No, I don't understand <laughs> that entirely. No, there's certain things that we have to be careful, even with our press conference, or we have to be careful to give dates or the right. times or where we're from or whatever, just in case the donor. It, it must be very sad for the donor, as you can imagine. Their baby died and yes, saved indeed. our baby's life. That's what it is. Yes, indeed. Yes, so indeed. So we can be very yes, careful indeed. what we no, say. No, that's, that's, that's very true. <laughs> Helen, I am so, tr- first of all, as someone who follows medical developments since I was a small boy. I'm fascinated. Oh, that's excellent. I can send you on all the details if you want to. You know, I'd love to see that. Oh, you'll get them. You'll get them. I already sent them on to Fergal last night, but I will send them on to you in person as well, okay? I'd love that. But I'm so so thrilled for you, so thrilled for the family. And PJ, PJ, could could I say thanks to all the Cockonians who who supported us from Blarney, Dunhamore, Mitchellstown, Parklands, Greta and Raymond, Ballincolic, and that's about it, and all Cork City. And can I ask, Ellen, about costs for all this? Compare one health system to that's another. That's it. The costs for all this are unbelievable. All paid for by the social welfare. Go on. All paid for, subsidised. Uh, all the social welfare. This the baby public, was operated on the public hospital in Madrid. As my son said, if we had to pay for the operation, we'd have to sell every house and everything we owned and it was it's as you can imagine wow this operation was uh, fully paid for by the social welfare oh my god oh god isn't that great that's amazing Helen. that's great that's am- unbelievable. You know, unbelievable people are also messaging in to say that your accent is beautiful your hybrid. No, as my father would say you can't lose a bad thing and that's one of them no no <laughs> the but you've got accent. the lovely combination <laughs> you're, 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 <laughs> Do you know? See what happens, BG. I feel I've been here all my life. I can express myself better in Spanish than English. That is my mother tongue at this stage. Well, I heard you thinking. You were th- thinking about <laughs> telling me when it happened, and I could hear you. I'm only thinking in Spanish. <laughs> I was. 
That's the way it goes. That's the way the language transmits from one to the other. I know. Listen, I'm delighted. I'm so oh, yeah, I forgot to say thanks to Tara Cunningham, who arranged all our interviews and everything. Tara, thanks a million. Right. <laughs> and the, the cock jerseys, Tara, thanks a million. Do you know what? I, I'd love I'd love at some stage when, when things are less busy, I'd love to talk to Dad. Would that be okay? You can. I'd love you to can talk any time. You have I'd my details that. and I will be delighted. All right, Helen. Absolutely listen. thrilled. Brilliant and talk. thanks a million. Thrilled. Thanks thrilled. 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 Everybody in Cork. Fantastic. God bless everybody in Cork. And Phil Cunningham as well. God bless everybody. God bless everybody. <laughs> say a few words thank in you. Spanish. Say, say good looking thanks in Spanish. Muchas gracias a toda la gente de Cork, a TPJ y toda mi familia de Blarney de todos lados. Un abrazo. Muchas gracias a todos. Un abrazo. Brilliant. Gracias. Gracias a todos. Adios. Gracias. Muchas gracias. Adios. Adios. Fantastic. Helen O'Sullivan. She's been in Spain since the 70s, but ah, that's, that's just a wonderful story. It's just a wonderful, wonderful story. And a lot of the media missed the fact that this was an Irish baby. Oh, wait, a Cork baby. I'm thrilled for her. Emma, she's won. This happened a couple of months ago. They're only talking about it now. The first ever transplant of an intestine. You also have split Cork down the middle this morning. Oh, yeah. is this the story about the Vase? The voice of the Vase. The Vase. For the Vase. A Vase. I'm siding with Victoria. <gasps> yes. Might just be the South African in me, but I'm saying Vase. Yay! Casey and Ross. Yes. It's Vase. Thank you very much. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Vase all the way. Yeah, hello. Sorry, now it's actually right. It is actually it is a Thank you very much, little person. Good morning, boys. Yeah. And Victoria. I never heard anybody saying past the Vaseline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Lads, it's a f- slow up, lad. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning. Get into gear for 2023 with No DC Cars Blackpool. Skoda Sales Dealer of the Year. Open 24-7 at NoDC.com. 96 How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
lot of people seem uh, both surprised and pleased that I played a little blast of Celtic Symphony this morning. Well, if you're going to talk about the words of a song, then you probably should play a little bit of the song, which is what we did. I'll come back to those comments. Also, Maeve was on about Bantry Hospital. You remember that earlier on this morning I was talking about Jamie uh, and his wife, um, talking to his wife. He was taken to Bantry Hospital earlier this week in severe stomach pain and they could do nothing for him down there. He got moved to COH. He eventually got a bed very early this morning. He's been treated for diverticulitis, which is a nasty thing. He's still in terrible pain and I was chatting to his wife about it earlier on this morning. Maeve was on to say, delighted you're highlighting Bantry General. Uh, my family is very personally grateful to them. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's been under threat since the 70s and there was a time when some women from Kerry used to go there to have babies. Uh, these hospitals should be a priority. My brother swallowed money one time down in West Cork and it was invaluable. There was a hospital there on the spot even though the treatment had to be finished in COH. It was great to have immediate help and be ready to go to the COH. So they knew what the scene was. I was on holidays in Kerry and we were asking where women were having babies. It was mostly Tralee. But the older women remembered that in the border area they went to Bantry and it was far more convenient. Now they have a long journey. Yep, Bantry has been downgraded and run down for the last number of years. When in actual fact, and I've said this many times in public, and I've said it to officials to their face, it's building up these hospitals. You should be putting more into these hospitals, not taking stuff out of them. And I remember the Higgins report. I'm old enough to remember the Higgins report on what we should be doing with our hospitals and, and, and we're doing little or nothing that was in that report. 0818969696. A lot of talk recently about accommodation scams. People coming to Cork and to indeed other parts of the country, but let's focus on Cork, coming to Cork, thinking that they've got accommodation. And there was one story in the news a few weeks ago about a woman who came here from France to start a course at UCC and she'd paid a deposit to a landlord to stay here in Cork. When she got here, she went to the address only to discover that that individual wasn't the landlord at all and there was no other room to be had at the uh, accommodation. So she literally had no place to stay. This is not infrequent. It's happening quite a lot and particularly it's happening to foreign students in both UCC and MTU. Uh, Laura Harmon from Cork is Executive Director of the Irish Council for International Students. Laura, they are, they are something of a soft target, aren't they? Good morning. Good morning, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing a huge increase this year in students contacting us. Um, you know, students that are coming over here um, from, from abroad, from uh, other countries, and, you know, English mightn't be their first language sometimes as well. Um, they're not aware of the accommodation situation in Ireland, um, you know, which is obviously, you know, a crisis point for not just for students, but for for whole, you know, sectors of society. And this is a symptom of the wider housing crisis. And certainly, you know, it's affecting Cork um, and, you know, many um, students are getting scammed. And we heard this year, the guard, the guardie themselves said there was a 30% increase in rental accommodation scams um, and for people to be wary of that. So I know it's affecting domestic students here in Ireland as well, but certainly it's it's affecting international students that come here. And I suppose us in the Irish Council for International Students, you know, we're, we're 
very concerned how this is affecting students and their mental health and also how it's affecting Ireland's reputation abroad as well. Yeah, like I guess an agency like yourselves can help people to seek accommodation here, but but others will just go and they'll see an, advertis- an advertisement on, on Facebook or wherever and they'll pay out money in, in good faith and then they're caught. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that a lot. So, I mean, if, if a student maybe can't find something on, say, daft.ie, you know, they might go on Facebook <clears throat> or, or on online somewhere and see um, accommodation being advertised. And these might be, you know, fake landlords. And, and often what will happen is, you know, they'll then enter into a conversation on WhatsApp. You know, bank details will be exchanged and, you know, they'll they'll send over money, um, you know, as I say, in good faith, hoping that they have somewhere sorted. Uh, and then it mightn't even exist. They might arrive in Ireland and find that they have nowhere to live. And, and we we know we've seen this happening this year where students are actually homeless. Um, you know, there's been reports of students and students telling us directly that, you know, they're not sure if they can stay in Ireland. You know, they're, they're, they've got their course, they're here, they're delighted. Yeah. Um, and the next thing, they've nowhere to live. So they're, they're saying they have to go home. And, and Laura, is there an official, yeah. for want of a better term, hub or portal that they can use to to source accommodation? Well, I mean, it would be the same as uh, where I suppose a domestic student would look. I mean, recommend obviously daft.ie and if they can go to their colleges where, where the colleges would often have approved, you know, accommodation, um, you know, websites. Of course, campus accommodation, many students do avail of that. Um, obviously, it's limited um, and it can often be quite expensive as well. Yeah. Um, so, particularly for students that are on a budget. And I mean, many students, as we know, are on a budget, mm. um, particularly those, you know, coming from abroad as well, who are paying much higher fees. That's right. These are people who are paying full here. whack for fees, not even, the, you know, the, the, they pay an awful lot more than, than, than if you like, home-based students. Exactly, yeah. So they really are, I mean, they're forking out. And look, I mean, obviously Ireland is a fantastic study destination. They, they, are, they come here to study because we have a good education system. Of course, UCC, my own alma mater, you know, obviously fantastic college, MTU, fantastic. Um, our universities, you know, are world class. But then they come here and they realise that, you know, the accommodation um, crisis is what it is and they've nowhere to live. And I mean, you know, we can't continue to... Um, to, to say that we're a world-class place to come and study if, if, if students are finding themselves in situations where they've nowhere to live. So it really is an issue that needs to be solved at a government level. And yeah, I was just saying, who who should be intervening here? Is this a matter for the government? And if it is, Laura, what can or should they do? It's absolutely a matter for the government. I mean, it is Department for Housing. And we've also been you know in contact with Minister Simon Harris. I know that Minister Harris is keen to, to address this issue, but it's not something that's going to happen overnight. But what needs to happen is there needs to be more in investment in purposeful student accommodation across the country. Um, we have a student accommodation strategy that was published in 2017. There's been no update on it since 2019. There's an international education strategy due to be published by the government. It's two years overdue. Mm. ICOS is calling for this to be put in place. Um, and there needs to be more regulation in terms of what can be advertised online and penalties for people that are advertising substandard properties or, or indeed, you know, there needs to be more, um, you know, prosecution for um, for those who are um, advertising false properties. And this is a matter for the guards, Shikon, as well. And of course, we'd, we'd encourage any student or anyone that's been affected by this to report it to the guards, okay. to report people to the guards or online sites to the guards themselves so they can, you know, address the issue as well. Okay. 
All right. All right. Listen, thank you. Uh, Laura Harmon, who is the executive director of the Irish Council for International Students. Too much of it going on. Government needs to step in and regulate if necessary and stop people being scammed out of thousands of euro when they come over to study at our wonderful universities. Thank you, Laura. 0818 96 96 96. I might remind you, this is again on Celtic Symphony, I might remind you that the day after England qualified for the final of the European Championships, all the radio stations, TV stations and printed media here went into meltdown with anti-English racism. One station even had a text competition as to why we hate the English. The vile racism went on all day, ending with all the presenters making anti-English comments. Not a word of criticism from his fellow trendy media types the next day. What I always say when jumping in the anti-English bandwagon is, imagine if the reverse happened, all the broadcasters would be banging on their shows for weeks. Regards, says Mike in Cork. Well, Mike, I, I believe I was away at the time that you speak of, and all I saw with regard to the English uh, team in the Euros was packed bars with Irish and English people sitting alongside each other, cheering on the team. I saw none of the hatred of which you speak. And I certainly, if I had been here at the time, wouldn't have stood for any of it. Because I don't think it's right. And, and you have a valid, very, very valid point. Very, very valid point. But I remember seeing the enjoyment. I was actually, I wasn't watching the final. Um, I was listening to it on radio and reading my book at the time and I heard the result and the the pool bar where we were staying had on the telly and I literally went down to, to get a point as the goal went in and the whole place just shook you know and, and there was Irish and English and Scottish and Welsh there supporting that team that day but thank you, Mike. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with the latest in Cork Entertainment. Choice-nominated Kojak comes to Cork Opera House this week with special guest Junior Brother for his biggest headline show on Leaside to date. One of Ireland's finest hip-hop artists. Tickets are now on sale for the show this Friday night from CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access all areas. The Dead Letter Office by Mary Lou McCarthy is an exciting new play for young audiences exploring migration and belonging. The play is a beautiful story about connection and how, through others, we can find ourselves. It runs at the Everyman Theatre for two shows on Saturday, October 22nd. Access all areas. If you have a gig, exhibition or any entertainment news coming up in the next few weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas on AAA at 96FM.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Cork's 96FM. It's almost as if with the whole palaver about Celtic Symphony and the match and the dressing room and all that, and I have more comments to come back to, which I will do before we quit today. People have almost forgotten the cost of living crisis in the last two days. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I, I don't know. But there was an article in the Examiner in the last few days, and I had read this as well elsewhere and heard it there's a guy called Paul Horan and he owns a fairly well known restaurant in uh, Tremor County Waterford it's called the Esquire and he's in business a long time and he was currently discussing things with his accountant with regard to how much he'd have to charge to make a profit 
on certain things in the current context. And he said, and this got published in the paper, a pint, a pint would have to be between 15 and 20 euro to pay for itself, let alone make a profit in the current climate. And he currently raises, or he sells a stake in the S-square for around 25 quid. And to make a profit on that, he'd have to raise it to about 60 quid in the current climate. And, and, and those price increases would be grossly unfair. You couldn't do that to customers. People are just not going to go out if the pint was to go up to 15 quid and the stake was to go up to, to 60 or, or, or more. It just wouldn't be feasible for people to go out, which means that it wouldn't be feasible for restaurants to open. Blonet Bergen, you're a lecturer in business at the Ballymaloo cookery school and I think people are very, very worried about the cost of living, the cost of provision of food the cost of cooking food and it's it, the sector is terrified of what lies ahead. Good morning uh, Good morning PJ and thank you for inviting me on um, Yes, those uh, those figures that you just quoted are quite terrifying and I suppose it's not quite as simple as that. Uh, yes, the industry are very nervous because at the moment we are in what has been uh, commonly known now as a, a perfect storm. There are so many things that have happened in the last two years that have simply come one after the other. There hasn't really been a break. And I feel that within the industry itself, uh, people are looking at more and more and more ways to become uh, more efficient, to become leaner. And COVID began that process and it's now having to ramp up to a, a level never seen before. I also feel, though, that there is perhaps an overemphasis on the whole um, having to increase prices thing. And I think we as consumers, uh, you need to be living under a rock at this stage now not to know that prices have gone up right mm-hmm. across the board. Mm-hmm. So as consumers, we uh, every choice we make um, when we go out to eat or drink uh, has an impact on a business. And uh, funny enough, I was in, my husband and I were in Cork only two weekends ago. We had a lovely long weekend in Cork. And uh, there are lots of independent businesses there, independent restaurants, cafes and pubs doing a tremendous job. And I think we as consumers now need to look at our own choices around where we decide we're going to eat and drink. And uh, most people in the industry will need, and I would be the last one to advocate price increases. You know, when I'm working with clients, I also work as an advisor in the industry. When I'm working with clients, price increases are the very last option. And anybody who's running a business will know this because there's often a very disproportionate reaction from customers to small price increases. Mm. So they would be the absolute last resort for a business to look at. And there will, unfortunately, given what we're facing now, there will be price increases. I think most businesses will try and keep those at a level where the customers are not going to say, well, I simply cannot sustain that sort of yeah. uh, cost. I think people going out for a night out, say, husband and wife going for a bit of a meal and a couple of drinks, they have a price pitch in their head. And most good business people know what that price pitch is. And for yes. people going out, they, 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 they understand that things are going to go up a bit. That's, that's inevitable. This VAT coming back in the early part of next year, that's inevitable. But there's also, they, they also are going to have low tolerance for being 
as they would see it messed around. So it's very hard to plan. You must put your menu up because some things have become just more expensive. But you've also got to keep your customer happy. I'd hate to be in that position. Yeah, it's very, very difficult. And I, you know, clients of mine and and former students of mine are, you know, I've had conversations with them in the last few weeks and they're doing everything that they can uh, to make sure that their costs are under control. So, you see, in our business, there are three areas of costs, there's food costs, labour costs and overheads. And you try and keep a balance between those and then have a little bit left for profit. But at the moment, and usually you know, there might be increases in one of those particular areas of cost, but at the moment there are increases in the three areas of cost. So it doesn't take a genius to work out that if all of your costs are going up at the same time, then the little bit of the pie that's going to be left for you is going to be getting smaller and smaller. So what I would say to people in the industry is that it's about looking at the costs you can control because at the moment there are some costs that are out of control. The other thing that's very much out of our control is what's coming down the line. We just simply don't know. So it's about really focusing on looking at what costs can be controlled within the business rather than looking at it, because it can be a a um, self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh You say, "I, I simply can't manage this. My business is going to go under. It's about sort of sitting back and saying, right, let's analyze the business. I I call it a CSI, a culinary scene investigation. So you're like a detective in your business, looking at all of the areas of costs that you can control and are we controlling them? Because the businesses that I go into, there's almost always ways in which you can save money. And that then filters down to the customer. Mm. What I think is inevitable, would you say, Blonded, is tighter menus. The menu with 20 choices will be replaced by something like you often see overseas, menu del dia, you'll be faced with a a very small choice to keep prices down. Do you know what, PJ? One of the great things that happened during COVID, and there weren't very many, let's face it, was that menus became smaller. Mm. Because I I would be a huge advocate of smaller menus and better quality. And uh, there will be smaller menus. But I I think, you know, in the industry, everybody knows this. When you have a smaller menu, you can focus then on making the menu that you have the best it can be. I don't think menus are going to get so small that uh, the, you know, customers would say, well, there's nothing here for me to eat. I don't think that's going to happen because people who are seasoned in the industry know that a certain amount of choice is needed. Mm. But the quality of that choice... But you might go from uh, six choices down to three, say. Unlikely. Really? I'd, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I would be surprised. Okay, it, would also, it also means, and another you know, great thing that happened during COVID, and this might be slightly controversial, uh, is the demise of the Carvery uh, lunch. Because one of the fastest ways to lose money, and, and I mean super fastest ways to lose money in food, is to have a Carvery. Really? So, oh, absolutely. And I love yeah, Carvery now, Blood. Oh, Tell me well, more God, here. PJ, no, I'm afraid. <laughs> I love Carvery. Uh, so, if you think about the Carvery model, it's yeah. sort of, a very, it's almost like a self-service model, but people queue up and then, you see, the trouble is that if you, uh, if, you know, if Johnny's coming in five days a week to get his meal, uh, or Mary, and they're saying to the chap behind the counter, no, would you give us another slice or two of that beef? Sure, you know, sure, who's going to notice? <laughs> I know it's Then, mean. you know, that's your margins. And, uh, you know, one hotel operator said to me recently, who's gotten rid of her Carvery and is delighted about it, um, said that, you know, there, it was getting to the point where people were saying, will you give me one of those chicken fillets there and I'll take it home and have it for my dinner? 
<laughs> you know, and and so uh, so the carvery uh, and also, of course, not even begin to talk about food waste. Yeah. Uh, you know the types of because it's so hard to control the demand on yeah. a carvery, and then what do you do with the with the waste? Is it just me so, as well? But I've noticed a, a demise in a hot hotel breakfast. What I mean by that is you get your you get your buffet with your fruit and your buns and your things like that. Another but one of the, my pet hates anyway. Uh, but the hot, but that. the hot breakfast buffet seems to be gone. You you order your breakfast now off a menu and it comes in a, in a set size. There's no more queuing up and saying, give me three fried eggs and four slices of sausages. and There's none of that anymore. Yeah. And again, I think that's quite a positive thing from two angles. First of all, from a food waste angle, because there is a huge, huge food waste on those breakfast buffets. And then we as consumers, I've been guilty of it myself, we load up our plates and we leave a third of it on the plate. Yeah. And if you did that at home with your mammy, she'd be give, giving you yes. a clip across the ear because yes, you're wasting yes, food. Yes. But we think nothing of doing it in the hotel context. So again, I would see that very much as a positive because a freshly cooked breakfast uh, should, in theory, taste a heck, heck of a lot better than one that's been sitting in a pan marie for hours on a, on a Well, buffet. it does, to be fair. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll grant you that. Yeah. Do yeah. you see, Blonid, and you say you work as an advisor as well as a lecturer, do you see, unfortunately, that by, say, six months from today, some businesses will have unfortunately succumbed here? I think some businesses will. And you see, it's never as simple as it looks when a business uh, closes. Uh, and there, you know, I come from, I grew up in a business. So uh, one of the things that consumers, again, need to understand if you don't come from a business background is the courage it takes to start a business mm -hmm. and the resilience and the persistence that it takes every single day to start a business. So, but businesses don't go out of business, in, you know, uh, overnight. That just as unless something really tragic happens, like a fire or something like that, businesses go out of business slowly. So it's a slow drip of, you know, costs not being fully looked at. I'll give you an interesting experience I had recently uh, in a restaurant, which remain nameless, obviously. Um, so my husband and I had dinner and uh, we had um, two main courses and starter or whatever desserts. And when it came to the bill, uh, my husband looked at it and he said, uh, I think we haven't been charged for our main courses here. So uh, we hadn't, in fact, been charged for our main courses, which came to 48 euros. Mm -hmm. Now, we had two choices there as a consumer. We could have walked out the door and said, happy days. We, you know, we haven't been charged. Uh, but we did the opposite because, you know, I'm in the industry and all the rest of it. And, and it, besides anything else, it would have been an immoral thing to do. So brought it to the attention of the manager. But I suppose what, what, what is worrying for the industry is that this has happened to me so often. I know you're going to have people ringing in and saying, now, I've been overcharged rather than undercharged. But lots of people will... Lots of people don't actually check their bills. You might be surprised to hear that, but you know, people often don't actually check the bill. They'll just pay it. Now, I think that's going to become less and less because people will be checking. But uh, my sister and her husband had the same experience in that restaurant 10 days previously. So mm. if you're a restaurant owner and people are walking out the door, either by accident or design, not having paid for the food that you cooked and mm. served mm -hmm. and all the rest of it, that is what I call a sort of an invisible cost. It's the cost that is chipping away at your bottom line. And then, so all of those small little things that are not being kept an eye on, 
eventually one day something tips it over the edge. And unfortunately, there's so many things at the moment that have the capacity to tip that over the edge. Mm. People, of course, who are going out are also on a a tight budget because their electricity bills have gone up and their grocery bills have gone up. So over the months to come, as, as, as someone who likes to eat and drink out from time to time, how can I help? How can people listening help this morning? You and people listening can help by choosing independent businesses. You have a number of absolutely fabulous cafes there in Cork, uh, in Cork City and in the county. You, you're known for as the, the capital of the country. We all know that. And you have fabulous places to eat. And I think when people are choosing to eat out, it is important to choose an independent business. Uh, not because, you know, obviously they'll have to be serving something nice and all the rest of it. But I would say that is one thing. And the other thing is, uh, and this is... This is something that uh, a lot of people in the industry have a problem with. If you book a restaurant and you're not going to go, please let them know. Oh, yeah. Oh, I I, I see so many yeah. people that I know in the industry and they say, oh, God, a no-show for eight people. That's yeah. just yeah. horrible. Would you agree, la- lastly and briefly, yes. as just as a side on that, it's often been discussed. Would you agree with taking a fiver per head as a penalty? Absolutely, without question. It's the most reprehensible thing to do to a business owner to book. And I was in a conversation with a group of people once and there was somebody saying, well, I usually book four restaurants and I go to one. Well, I had a complete meltdown with them because I lost them. It is just such a nasty thing to do. So I I think if you think about it, when you book a theater or you book a hotel, particularly hotels, they'll take your credit card number. And if you don't turn up, you'll be charged. Yes. So I think restaurants, uh, absolutely, I would completely agree with that. All right, Lola, thank you very much uh, for being with us today. That's Blonet Bergen, a business lecturer at Ballymlochukri School, and of course, her own restaurant advisor with the business of food. Thank you, Blonet. Tough times ahead. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Still some comments coming in about Celtic Symphony and the situation regarding the Irish team now being investigated by UEFA for singing that song in their dressing room a song that is a football song and we've had the man who wrote the lyrics of the song explain to us this morning exactly what the lyrics mean and they have nothing whatsoever to do with an IRA campaign that ever was but still people are misinterpreting the song I'll come back to that. 0818969696, the number to call. The text to WhatsApp is 0833969696 and the email is opinion at 96mm.ie. As we come into a weekend, uh, remind you that that's the best way to get us uh, when we are out of hours, when we're not on the air. Opinion at 96mm.ie, always the best way to get get a hold of us. Now, on the back of that uh, HICWA finding... With regard to CUH and the report from HICWA that found that some people were waiting for 58 hours or more for a bed. And CUH has issued a statement 
and uh, which I've been asked to read, which I'll do that. I'm going to hold it, Eames, for maybe 10 minutes. Uh, I'll talk first to Mary and to Mags about the vigil last night uh, down in Douglas. Now, it's also been announced, actually, with regard to the vigil, it's a week ago. It's a, It's a, almost as if it went by so fast. It's a week ago at 3.15 today that lives changed forever in Quishlock in uh, County Donegal. A typical afternoon in early October. People in the shop buying a cake for Mammy's birthday, getting some money out of the ATM, getting an ice cream, getting some petrol. And in the apartment block behind, something happened. And now 10 people are dead. The funerals are continuing. The town is destroyed. The town is left without a shop now. That's kind of the least of its worries, I guess, at this stage. But we know the shock and the horror and the upset and the sadness that has gone across the whole country in the last week or so. But at 3.15 today, every apple green in the country is to stop doing what they're doing. There's quite a number of these in Cork as well. Every apple green in the country will fall silent for a minute at quarter past three today. They will stop doing what they're doing for one minute in memory of what happened at Crystal. Uh, Mary, you had the, the vigil last night in, in Douglas. How did it go? Good morning. Oh, good morning, PJ. Oh, it went very well. They were very happy. Um, big, big turnout, I think. Yeah, there was a good, good turnout and um, we had all the all lit up with white lights. Yeah. And um, very emotional, PJ, I have to say, very emotional. And the fact that we had a lady that joined us called Mags, right. and she had the Donegal flag with her. It was just, that was the icing on the cake, really. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was amazing. She, it was amazing. She, she's there, and I'll talk to her in a second. But you, you had yeah. the Lord Mayor, who's a local woman, came along. We had the Lord Mayor. Mayor we had Councillor Deirdre Ford. Um, she joined us and was happy to join us. It was just, I don't know, just beyond words, really, PJ, the, you know. The legend, just, the legend that is Katrina Toomey was there, I know that. She was there from Penny Dinners. She was indeed. Yeah. And we had uh, another lovely guy, you probably know him, Robert Stevens. I do know Robert, yes. Robert. Well, you know, Robert wrote a beautiful poem yesterday. Okay, okay. About it. And it, it, it's... Um, an emotional poem as well now and he attended as well last night and lots of other people some people I didn't know some people I did and it was just as I said it was just beautiful beautiful you mentioned Mags from Donegal Mags you've been in Douglas now for for 33 years would you have connections to Chrysler or what part of of Donegal are you from good morning good morning PJ I'm from Port New near the Glenpeace which is about three quarters of an hour from Quisla. Okay, okay. I would know people from Quisla. I have a sister-in-law that lives in Quisla. I see, I see. Very, very, very tough time for the people of your beautiful county. We are heartbroken. Heartbroken is, you know, words we can't say. Last night it was beautiful. Marie was fabulous for putting it on. And Deirdre Ford, she came up and she said, Oh, a Donegal flag. And she wrapped her two arms around me. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Somebody said during the week, Mags, and I thought it was a lovely comment to describe Donegal. In Donegal, we all come from small places, so we all feel this. 
Oh, we do. We're very, we're very, very small places. Very, but we're scattered all over the world. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, are we? Can I just say, PJ, on behalf of all the people of Dolcrisla and Donegal, I want to thank everyone for their prayers, their kindness, and thoughts. I'm thinking of Donegal at this time. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have never been to Crisla, but. I paid two visits to Donegal in the last number of years and, and, and the one thing that I'd say is is you come from one of the most stunningly beautiful places I've ever seen. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, PJ. Yeah. I hope you got a, a warm welcome oh, when you were there. Oh, listen, the warmest, the absolute warmest and, and beautiful, beautiful people and a beautiful, beautiful place and just a horrible, horrible tragedy to, befor- to befall you all one week ago today and I thought that resonated Everybody from here comes from small places, so we all know what this is like. Yeah, very small. And the world is so big. I know, I know. Well, look, our thoughts are with the people of your county. And 30 to how come you came to Cork? Was it, was it, was it a Cork man brought you here or what happened? Yeah, he came up and brought me down 33 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> well, you know what? You've kept that lovely accent. Thank you, PJ. Thank you. <laughs> the homes of Donegal. Indeed, indeed. You know what? I listened to that Paul Brady song during the week and, and I don't know about you, but I cried like a baby. Oh, I heard it twice or three times on the radio. It was lovely. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. I was listening to, I tuned in to, I know some of the lads in, in the local radio station up there in Highland. And, oh, yes. And yeah. I tuned in one the, other, one the other day just to catch a, you know, just get a feel for it. And they were all close to tears just talking on, about this on, on, on the... Maybe before the end of the station, you might put it on you'd before never, you finish today. You'd never know. We might get it. We might get. We might get a minute of it. Thank you very much, Mags, and thinking of you and thinking of the people of Donegal and uh, of Mary Piper Cregan for putting that event on last evening. A little vigil in in Douglas for the people of Crayshock. And three fifteen today. If you find yourself anywhere near an apple green, and there's loads of them around Cork, and and you wanted to do something. Make your way to your nearest apple green and just stand there. Just stand there. A minute silence. 0818 96 96 96. Right. I want to come back to that statement from CUH. Uh, they came in the headlines during the week for all the wrong reasons. First of all, they're consistently in the last few days now the most overcrowded hospital in the country. The trolley wash figures are out again today. And, uh, dreadful situation at COH and they were audited by HICWA uh, during the summer or inspected by HICWA during the summer and that didn't didn't go at all well for them. Cork University Hospital wishes to apologise to all patients who continue to be affected by the long waiting periods at the hospital's emergency department. The hospital has a long-standing challenge with acute inpatient bed capacity on site. This unfortunately has resulted in a large number of patients having to endure lengthy waiting times the emergency department awaiting admission. Staff work very hard to provide ongoing safe care to all patients who await admission. We're working with HSE colleagues regionally and nationally to address this. 0818969696. And it has to be said, all these statements, all these calls, all these comments, all these stories that we're t- telling on the radio again, the thousandth time, every single one always come back to the same thing. Staff are brilliant. Staff are wonderful. There's just not enough of them, and they're grossly overworked. Do this before I forget it. Congratulations to two staff members at Keto Gym, Penrose Wharf. They to be Craig O'Shaughnessy, 
manager who has just won his third world champion kickboxing title in Killarney and Rajay Farna, Keto Gym personal trainer who competed in the Irish Open Jiu-Jitsu Championships in Dublin taking home three medals, winning gold in both his weight class and the open weight category. Huge congratulations to both from everybody at Keto Gym in Penrose Wharf. Still plenty of stuff coming in on Celtic Symphony. I'll just clear one or two more of them. Donald says, very best of luck to Castle Martyr against Inniscara on Sunday. The first song played will be Celtic Symphony if they win. The Irish people should boycott all the Sky channels and switch to another provider, says that message. Well, I'm not endorsing anything like that, but it is a view that is out there. It was inappropriate, but I also think it was an invasion of privacy. We all know what up the ram means. If you think it means something else, you're delusional. Fields of Athenry is our normal anthem. I thought it had been a massive invasion of privacy too, because I thought somebody, I thought initially, somebody had done it to sort of put a hex on the girls. But then I realised, no, they'd actually released it themselves. And there are many other songs. They sang for they sang a Taylor Swift song and they sang a bunch of other songs. But of course, that one got out and that one got the headlines. Someone says, you know, doing, doing people proud by standing up for the girls and playing a bit of Celtic Symphony. Well, maybe trying to understand the lyrics and explain the lyrics and maybe people who had a knee-jerk reaction to the bit of the chorus would want to go in and read the lyrics of the song. And that's why I brought on Brian Warfield, who wrote the song. Sky would want to educate themselves on geography. That weather map with the border around six of our counties is just infuriating. Margaret here from Toker. Good on you for standing up for the Irish team. They did a great job getting through. They played a great game. They deserved their moment. And then having to apologise for singing a song about our heritage and nation is bull. What about when the Rangers sang their charts, or their chants rather? Talk about hypocrisy. The British schools were never taught about the Irish history and what happened. They were only told the good things about Britain, not the downfall. That presenter on Sky needs to be educated, not the girls. The player during the interview was fantastic, because if it was me, I'd have lost the rag. Huge congrats to them. Let them sing and chant about their country. They've made history. It wasn't one bit malicious or one bit political. And that's important. It wasn't one bit pol- religious, malicious rather, or one bit political. I also want to add, RTE should be ashamed of themselves for not standing up for their own. They just jumped on the bandwagon with Britain. And there's loads more, loads more. I'll try and get to some more before we finish. 0818 96 96 96. We've been looking at some people's hobbies over the last week or so. And it's almost inevitable we come around to one that I've been interested in myself for many a long day now. That's the Eurovision Song Contest. As people know, every May, I go a small bit bananas in the, in the run-up to the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm a member of a thing called the Brains Trust, which is kind of, well, it's a group we meet in person sometimes. But the last couple of years, we've met uh, on WhatsApp and we sit and we watch it in our own homes and we have a WhatsApp we're sad people and we do things like open have a glass of Baileys for song number nine we do all these silly things we're, we're fans of the the Eurovision Song Contest and we make complete idiots of ourselves online every year and sometimes we even meet for a night beforehand to try to figure out who will win and who will qualify we're silly it's silly and it's great fun but what about making a hobby of going to the Eurovision Song Contest going to it like many, many, many times. Uh, Dermot Manning 
has been to many Eurovision Song Contests. Uh, Dublin-based Dermot, a barrister by profession. And uh, Dermot and I, Dermot, I was thinking, pinching myself, we first met, you and I, my friend, back in the Green Glens Arena in Mill Street. Good morning. Good morning to you, PJ. Yes, but can you believe it, PJ? 30 years since we first met at the Eurovision Song Contest, three decades ago. Yeah. But and, and just, I, I said it to friends of mine that next year's contest being in Liverpool is actually closer to me in Dublin than the contest in Mill Street was. How many Eurovisions have you been to, Dermot? Over the 30 years, I've been to 21. So if I go to Liverpool next year, it'll be number 22. I sort of started out and did the four that were in Ireland, and as, as well as the trip to Birmingham in 98. Yeah. Then I didn't go to Jerusalem in 99, I didn't go there. Then my longest un- unbroken run I did from 2000 all the way to 2011 in Dusseldorf, which was 12 contests, yeah. did all of them. Then I took a break for a year because I went to Baku in Azerbaijan. I didn't want to go to Baku. Came back and did three more years, and my Malmo and Copenhagen and Vienna. Yeah. Then I took another couple of years off and went back and did um, uh, Lisbon in 2018. And most recently, I was in Turin for this year's final. And for you, it's it's a trip. Like it's it's what a week, maybe even more. Most years, it's usually a week. I usually go with my Saturday to the following, the day after the final, so the following Sunday week, so eight days. Uh, this year, however, I only did um, uh, from Tuesday, the day of the first semi-final, until the Sunday. A few reasons for that, a few work commitments, obviously. Mm. But also, uh, there was a lot of COVID restrictions in Turin, yeah. so there wasn't anything like the normal social whirl that that, that is always around the Eurovision. Oh, no, you, you know yourself, PJ, I think that the Dutch party and the Georgian yeah. party Oh, yeah. the Norwegian party and those sort of things very little of that happened in Turin and very little interaction even with the singers in Turin because they were all kept effectively in bubbles yeah. uh, so they weren't interacting or mixing with the fans or with the press or anything like that What is the big attraction? It is absolutely the most fun week of the year for me. Uh, if you think about it, you know, any city that hosts the contest, and particularly take an example of Turin this year, or a better example, Lisbon in 2018. Like Portugal have been in the contest since the 60s, 64, I think it was our first entry. Uh, and it took them nearly 40 years to win the thing. But they did. And the year when they finally got it to Lisbon, I mean, it was a great opportunity. They put, you know, really put their best foot forward. The city was spruced up. They put a huge Eurovision village right in the centre of town there was every bar and cafe had something with the Eurovision going on it was they had singers and performers doing stuff like walking down the street there was some Eurovision songs playing from like speakers (laughs) and whatever and then the other great thing uh, is PJ is the fact that you know your friends that you've met and made over the years that you might have first met in Dusseldorf in 2011 or in Athens in 2006 they're still popping back up again year after year How did you get into it first? Two, Two things really happened uh, I've, I met a few friends in Dublin in the very early 90s and one of them, a guy called Peter Walsh and Peter was a Eurovision fan and we just met at a party. I can still remember uh, flicking, as bored, I was flicking through his record collection and came across with five Eurovision records in a row and I'd never met a Eurovision fan at that point so he, that was the start of it. So then, And he spoke about a fan club called the Eurovision Network 
that was in the UK at the time, very big in the 90s. And I said, I remember ringing the BBC. I just found the number in a phone book and I rang the BBC, got onto their information department. They then gave me contact details for this fan club in the UK. I then sent them an old fashioned letter, I think, with a stamp and an envelope. And they wrote back to me with a, a fan magazine, I remember, and an application form to join the fan club. And then about a year after that, in 92, I was going to their convention, their annual fan convention, which is always held in October. And by sheer, sheer coincidence, they'd invited a special guest, a lovely, lovely lady who sadly passed away earlier this year called Anne Coughlin. And she was invited because she was the press officer in RTE that covered the Eurovision Song Contest. Mm. And in October 1992, she was already looking ahead to the show that would be in Mill Street in 1993. I sat beside her on the plane by sheer coincidence. And by the end of the flight she'd asked me to give her I'd given her my name and my address and my phone number and I asked her why do you want that he said you'll see next year and the following February or March I think it was I got this uh, uh, form in the post which was an application form for accreditation I remember from Mill Street sent by Anne and she had put, never put post-its on a sign here put a photograph here <laughs> this sort of thing and uh, sent it back and really not no idea what I was applying for to be honest with you and then next second and I knew I got a letter confirming I had accreditation for the event in Mill Street. So I rocked on down for a week, not really knowing what to expect, and had the time of my life. I mean, here was I standing in the arena, looking at rehearsals, meeting all the singers, going to their receptions, you yeah. know. So, I mean, that was my first year in Mill Street. And then, of course, the great joy was Niamh Kavanagh won that night, meaning the following year's contest was in Dublin. And the following year, I remember getting a phone call from Ortiz saying, do you want to use the same photo on your badge again? So I just, you kind of got into it, you know, and I fell into it, really. Talking about these conventions, bashes, they have quizzes, they have stars in their eyes nights, they have karaoke. We've never seen the like. We really have. I know it's huge. I mean, the, the one uh, the UK now, they organise a very large one. That was actually only last weekend in Cardiff. Uh, 220 went to it. I've been to them a number of times. I mean, they're just, and they're always held usually around this time of the year, like September, October, i.e. sort of the middle point from the Eurovision, if you think about it, in, the, in a calendar year. So uh, six months on from the contest, you know, the fans are desperate to do something and meet up again. So they generally are held around this time. And yeah, and they're just, they're really just get-togethers for people to meet up, friends mm. to meet up. And as you said, and the other big thing, they, they always invite our special guests. So, for example, in the one just recently in Cardiff, they had Katrina, as in the lead singer of Katrina and the Waves. They won the contest of the UK with Love Shine a Light. And you must remember, like, for these singers, you know, they kind of get this fan following amongst the fan base, and they become terribly, terribly popular. And so, so they, you get these singers. Linda Martin does great value out of them. She's always going to these conventions. Nave Kavanagh does them as well. You know, Johnny Logan in particular. Yeah, I remember being in Birmingham and Johnny Logan arrived and it was like the parting of the Red Sea. <laughs> well, I mean, Katrina would be, I mean, she's going to get a great run at it now uh, as the last you know, UK winner back in 1997. And I mean, you're going to see a lot of her now fronting up, I think, yeah. uh, the BBC's coverage. Will you get a place to stay over there, Dermot? Because people are already saying Liverpool, there won't be a bid to be had. And if you do, it'll cost you a month's wages. 
Well, this is funny. The funny thing you say that the day they announced it, you know, where on Facebook you get the memories, you know, they pop up, I think, most days, you know. And I actually, the day they announced Liverpool, a memory popped up on my Facebook, and it was from 2010, so this made 12 years ago, of me saying to Facebook that I had booked my flight to Dusseldorf, which was then going to be the host in the contest in May 2011. And all the comments on my saying I booked my flight were, oh, you'll never get a place to stay. Oh, there's all the hotels are booked out. Oh, it's 15,000 a night to stay, to stay in Dusseldorf the night of the final. And so on and so on and so on. And it was the same in Copenhagen in 2014. It was the same in Vienna in 2015. It's the same every year. Mm. But the reality is that a huge number of these uh, bookings are held by people that will not get tickets. There's 11,000 tickets uh, that will be available on the night of the final. Uh, Of that 11,000, 1,000 goes to delegations, uh, 1,000 will go to sponsors, 1,000 will go to BBC production people and so on and so on and so on. So at most 5,000 or 6,000 tickets will be available to what we would call the regular fans. You're sorted already, aren't you, Dermot? Well, I, I might have, it might have, I might have a few. I knew I, it's Liverpool. There's nobody, nobody in Ireland doesn't have family and friends and aunties and uncles living in Liverpool. Answer the question, Mr. Manning. <laughs> I, I should be okay. I should be okay, PJ. But, but PJ, think about this way. There's two huge football clubs in Liverpool, Everton and Liverpool. Yeah. How often are there weekends when both of them are playing home matches? So true. they have 10,000 fans from Everton, 10,000 fans, visiting fans for Liverpool, you know, all staying in Liverpool on the same night. And they, they accommodate them without a blink of an eye. So I imagine it won't be that hard for them to put up six, seven, eight thousand 8,000 visiting fans. Fans, I say it's a big city, Liverpool, plenty of hotels, and and they and worse comes to the worst, you can stay in Manchester, it's only 25 minutes by train, Warrington's only 20 minutes by train. Mm. You know, there's plenty of options around there. Dermot, a pleasure as always to talk to you, my friend, and consider yourself booked for Liverpool. I will indeed, PJ. Look forward to talking from you there. <laughs> Cheers, Dermot. Yeah, yeah, we well, actually, well, we're putting a pitch in here. Uh, I didn't realize that I had another. Eurovision fan on the team Uh, Emer wants to go to Eurovision so we're going to see if we can't get a programme done from there on the Friday wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be fantastic we probably will be told no you're mad shut up but we can ask 0818 96 only over the road like Liverpool 0818 96 96 96 Uh, Frank Dermody is the president of OGAE Ireland, which is the Eurovision fan club. And Frank Dermody is a Corkman. Is it the first time a Corkman's ever been president of the fan club? Frank, morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Is it the first time ever a Corkman's... Well, to my knowledge, yes, but there's only ever been about four presidents of the fan club, so <laughs> yes. <laughs> how did How did you get into it? Um, I got into it the old-fashioned way in Ireland way back in the 80s. My parents were watching it on TV and I just got hooked at that point. Years later, um, meeting friends who were into the Eurovision, they put me on to other people. And then it was eventually we decided my partner was turning 40 and their big thing was want to go to the Eurovision. It was being held in Oslo. So we went out there, we booked tickets through the, the regular site. And when we went out there, there were so many Irish fans yeah. and we got to to know them and to meet them up. And that's how we joined the, the fan club at that point. And since that, we've grown the club 
exponentially. There's more and more people joining every year. It's just a fantastic organization to be part of. But the the joy and the happiness that it brings to people yeah. is amazing. And like, I love it. Even though it's so long since we won the damn thing, the Irish interest seems to be as strong as it ever was, if not stronger. Absolutely. It, there is a passion in Ireland for it because we all grew up with it. And it was one of the highlights of the year. Every May, we would take part in it. And like most of us would be of the age where we remember when we did very well in the 90s. And like, if you're naughty, you're probably crying at those memories now. But it's it's still got that joy and that heart, that, that love yeah. for it. We grew up with it and we just, because that community is there, we understand that maybe we don't do as well as we used to. Do we wish we did? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, but there's always hope for the next year. Yeah. So, do you, do you have go to these big conventions and these big nights, and do you do yurioki and all those things? Yurioki, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, we go to the conventions all around um, Europe. I've been to a few in Amsterdam, London, Berlin. There's one in Dublin now at the end of the month, and we're hoping to have one set up in Cork at the end of November. Oh, brilliant! Well. I'll go to that myself. <laughs> I'll I will. Send you the invite. <laughs> no, because it as I said, I first went I went for my job in ninety in three to Mill Street. And that's where I bumped into Mr. Manning, who was on before you there, and my pal Ken O'Sullivan, another Corkman. Um and the three of us have well, Dermot's been all over the world with it, all over the Eurovision um division of the world, and I've been to it four or five times, Ken's been to it several times. And I always say to people, it is the the buzz. It's the biggest party on the planet for, for what's now two weeks. There's no way to to accurately describe it unless you feel it when you're out there because the atmosphere is electric. Everyone is on the same vibe level as you and it's just wonderful. They could be from Slovenia. You have no idea what they're talking about and you are talk and you're feel the same way about the competition. There's a love, there's a reverence. And it's just, it brings out the best in people, I think. And there are people who know it backwards. They know every score that ever got given to anybody. It's, it's, I know. It, it, it's it amazing. Do, do you have, you, you, do you know Paul G, the great Paul G? I think I do, yes. Yeah, Paul <laughs> is one of our, one of our brains trust people. Um, he, he's the man who manages the jury with RTE and uh, he's on our brain oh, yes. and there's nobody knows Eurovision like Paul G but if you say oh son Spain gave us five no they didn't they gave us four <laughs> he knows <laughs> he knows and it's it's. The, the, but the, tell me about this Cork convention what are you hoping to have? It's a night in Cork we want to play Eurovision music there obviously so we're looking to get a DJ and a drag queen involved as well to play some hits there's going to be a little quiz and hopefully we might have a surprise artist that turns up that again this is to be confirmed and so I can't really tell you anything yeah, well, I just know that, yet I know that the wonderful Neve that just on to me here Neve visited Care Choice in Montanati recently and Neve Kavanagh did um, yeah, she's, she's a wonderful person. I love her to bits. She's great. I haven't seen her in a while. She was my last live studio guest before COVID. That, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. We, she was in here. And I, well, I have a little bit of a story. The night that she won in Mill Street, um, myself and the aforementioned Mr. O'Sullivan managed to blag our way onto the official bus <laughs> and lie our way into the 
after party and Neve recognised us because she'd done interviews with us both and she grabbed us by the hands and pulled us in the door into the party. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, you were officially accredited then at no, that point. Well, we were both working. We were both officially accredited. But we, we had no invites to that party. But that's that's the crack of it, isn't it? Get Seeing where you can get into, seeing what party you can go to. Absolutely. It is just one great big party atmosphere out there. And there's something for everyone, be they kids, be they adults, be they... You're just wandering in. I have friends who they don't get... They never want to get a ticket. They just want to go to the city yes. and see it and experience it at the same time. Yeah. There are people who just, they'd, I would recommend to absolutely anybody, any chance you get, go see a semi-final, go see a final. You won't, it's that feeling when you get there. It's that pure excitement and it's everywhere. It is. It and is. It's, it's electric. You can, you, can, you, you can taste it. You can absolutely taste, taste it. Come here, getting to Liverpool and actually staying in Liverpool Frank, is going to yep. be tough. The prices of accommodation are going to be ridiculous. They're ridiculous currently, but it it is kind of um, a cyclical thing. It happens every year. They announce the city and then everyone and their mother wants to get accommodation to go out there. So they all book everything that's available. And so, of course, the last few people who have the accommodation left are going to drive up the prices. That's just how the market works. But closer to the date, people will drop out. They cancel their accommodations more things come on the market. It, and you're like, for Turin, I didn't even book my accommodation till March and it was normal priced at that point. Yeah. But if I booked in November or December or of the previous year, it would have been several thousand a night. Yeah. So to those looking to go, just hang tough. It does get better. It will come around. Yeah. And like Dermot was saying, this happens nearly every year. And I mean, you saw the news story there about Liverpool looking at potentially having people in a cruise ship. That was happening in um, Copenhagen. That's right. At the time, they were talking about it as well. That's so, right. again, just hang tough. It's going to get better. Because yeah. it is a big city. Accommodation is not lacking. Yeah, plus the fact That's that it's you've got several other cities only 20 minutes away by train. Oh, huge. Yeah, Manchester is enormous. Exactly. So there will there will be accommodation. So when will you pay your first visit to Liverpool to see the lie of the land before going there, Frank? Because I know people <laughs> do that to get, too. Uh, this is true. I'm hoping to get a group from the, the fan club to go out there in hopefully January or February to get a lie of the land and to scope out a base of operations where we can work from you at that point. A that. great big meeting point for anyone who's Irish or even beyond that to come and meet us up while we're out there. Yeah. Maybe find us a place to do our OB from before that. Before which <laughs> We're even talking about it here now. We'd love to do the Friday programme, uh, especially if <laughs> Ireland got into the Speaking of Ireland getting into the final, I really thought young Brooke would do it. She, she was amazing. She was brilliant. She was amazing. And she ticked every Just necessary box. She absolutely did. Do you know, she designed the dresses herself. She did the choreography herself. Mm. She did everything. Yeah. So, and it was just stunning. She's a wonderful individual. And I was gutted. Absolutely oh, we were all, gutted. we she were watching qualify. on the Brains Trust. We just could not believe it that she didn't get the, there. The fans just were going mental in the audience for her. The screaming for her. Just like, even if you listen, listen back to the videos, it's going, Ireland, Ireland, yes. Brooke, Brooke, Brooke. They were going... Crazy for her in the stadium, absolutely crazy, absolutely gutted for her. And I know, speaking to her afterwards, that she was she felt very disappointed that she let down Ireland. She did, but she thought she thought we, that. Yeah, 
And she was wrong. Luckily, we were. Absolutely. She didn't let us down at all. She did us very proud. We organised for to meet a couple of the fans afterwards and it turned then into several hundred fans who found out that she was coming. And she just got, she just felt the love at that point out in Turin and it helped cheer her up immensely good. at that point. And I'm absolutely delighted we were able to do that for her. Good, good. Because my, so. both, both my friends, Ken and Dermot, had met her and said she was just an absolute dote and, and really had everything it took to make a final and she didn't. Who's, who knows? We start the search again. That's it. Do you know anyone? Who knows? Do you, know any, do you know anybody writing a song? I don't know anyone this year writing a song. So I'll be perfectly honest with you. But there is, um, RT were saying that there was a lot of interest this year in comparison to other years. So it does look, hopefully, that we might get a good better. Uh, sorry, we might get a better chance this year of getting to the final. Who'd ho- I think, or here's hoping. Because I think here's hoping exactly. So it looks like we're cracking the formula which is don't take yourself too seriously and send in quality. Yeah. I have my fl- message. I have my flights booked for the Eurovision with my 12-year-old who's obsessed. I'd love to know how to get passes or tickets for the actual shows. Could that fella Dermot help? I was always obsessed, but my 12-year-old is worse. Someone who wants to get tickets, Frank, there is an official site that they can start to check, isn't there? There is. It, it's actually the BBC would organise the tickets this year. So it's the host nation's uh, TV station would organise the ticket sales. And it usually goes on from um, the major ticket provider of that country. It could be Ticketmaster in Italy. It was Billet One. Okay. So what they'll do is you go to Eurovision.tv, which is the official Eurovision website, and they will let you know in advance when the tickets are coming out. Okay. They're not uh, out yet, I take it. No, no. I, we just got the whole city. I would, from speaking with others, I would honestly estimate maybe early New Year before the tickets are sorted. All right. Because okay. it's generally about two to three months after, after the venue the, the, is announced that the tickets start coming on sale at very, that point. Very good. But right. they'll, usually, they'll usually give you about a week or two notice at that point. The fine, And here's a tip for everyone. If you're going to go to the Eurovision, the final will sell out in minutes. Yeah. It always does every year. It's the biggest one. Try to go for a semi-final, a dress rehearsal, or a family final. Yes. And what that is, is they're filmed the same way, and they're sent off to the juries to view beforehand, and generally they're much easier to get to. Yeah. Do they still do uh, the full dress rehearsal on the Friday night? They absolutely do, yes. And there's a public audience at that too? There is indeed, and there's a family final on the Saturday. So they film both of them in exactly the same way they would for the actual Eurovision itself. So if you go to those, you'll see all the fireworks, you'll see all the spectacular, you'll see the same commentary that's happening as well. Excellent, because that's all come to... I've, I've seen there, I've been, I've been in with Marty Whelan uh, years back, and I've seen it, it's a script. It actually is a script, and, and you put your own twist on it. So the same commentary is correct. Frank, I've no doubt we'll talk between now and, and Eurovision time, and keep us appraised of details of the Cork event at the end of November, because I'd absolutely love to be there. Absolutely, I'll let you know when it's available. Cheers. That's Frank Dermody, who's president of OGAE Ireland, uh, Ireland's Eurovision fan club, and he's a Corkman, and they have an event here in Cork at the end of November. Can't wait. I think we'd probably need a few tickets in the building. 0818969696. Yes, it is an obsession. No, I can't explain why I'm obsessed with it. I just am. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Another hobby 
that people are becoming more and more taken with uh, in Cork these days is Olympic cheerleading. Sandra Goulding, explain to me what's the difference between Olympic cheerleading and any other kind of cheerleading. Morning. Good morning to you. How are you? Great. Um, oh my God, yeah, there's a big difference. Even a lot of kids don't even realise it. With the competitive sport, it's actually, there's no palms involved, there's no cheering, there's no chanting. This one is a building of teams that they go tumbling, they've jumps, they've pyramids that you throw flyers high in the air and it's a competitive, it's a lot of training involved and discipline. Because we think about, like you said, pom-poms and, and tall hats and marching and, and yeah. all that. <laughs> tall, tall hats and short skirts and tiny shorts and stuff. But you're saying your you're kind of, of chill is competitive. It's a form of dance, I guess. It, it is. It's, it's a, you, have, you have a two and a half minute routine where you have jumps, you have a bit of dance in it. You have a lot of tumbling and then you have stunting as well. So it's it's a mixture of, but it's all done within two and a half minutes. Wow. It's a fast routine. It's very fast. Fast and very energetic. And I think boys and oh, girls yeah. do it together as well. Boys and girls, yeah. We've three boys in our in our group and they're, they're just as good as any girl. They're just, one will fly as well for us and no fear. No fear at all. Yeah. Is there is there a, a national team? Oh, there is, yeah. Yeah, it's based in Dublin or Galway. They would, they, you'd have to go in and audition for them from other teams, or they pick them from the, when you have competitions. There's two in Ireland, and then you can travel to England and anywhere with them. And in Florida, as the worlds, mm. then you know. So you're picked. Then the the Dublin team have gone, have gone to worlds and placed as well. So it is fairly competitive. Okay, it's starting nice. to build up here. Yeah, like everything we get involved in, we Irish, we, we we do it well. Can I talk to Robin? Sandra? You can indeed, she's here now. How are you? Hiya, Robin. How are you getting on? How long are you doing this? I've been doing this now since I'm 10, so uh, nine years. Okay. I know, I haven't gotten sick of it. How how did you get into it? Um, I got into it. I was doing dance. I've been doing dance since I was two. And I suppose the group I was with, they set it up. And um, I just started there, and then I mum came in after that. Yeah. What's the best bit of it? What's it, what's so fun about it? I think it's the reward after we hit that like first fall out of like the group when we finish the routine and it's so tiring but it's just like when we hit it like we hit everything all the stunts are right all the time like yeah. that feeling that you get is so oh it's so worth it. Like that feeling that when you get to the end of it the big finish and you land you land the, you spot they call it spot the landing they call it isn't that right? Exactly. You, exactly. Spot, you spot the landing and, and everyone goes wow. Yeah. Yeah. We will be all dead on the floor, but... <laughs> yeah, I imagine, because yeah. I've watched, I just watched a couple of, of videos this morning, just knowing I'd be talking to you, and like, it, there's energy, serious energy involved. Oh, the stamina you needed, like, yeah. it's indescribable. Because, like, you didn't just get up in the morning, make that routine up, and then do it on stage. How many times, like, before you do a routine, before it's ready for, for if you like, a quali- for a competitive arena. How many times would you do your routine in a day? In a day, I'd say four or five, just to make sure that we actually have that stamina to kind of build up right. and make sure we can hit it once perfectly. Yeah, and every move has to be broken down and every move has to be perfect. It's, Absolutely, it's like, they're it's all like counted. A, yeah, it's like building a jigsaw. Yeah, and, and every, like... 
maybe I suppose one stump might hit on, hit on five and there's just like there's just points to everything and you have to remember which kind of number it goes on yeah do you compete are you on the national team I'm not I didn't try out I wish I did would you, I like, did. Would you like to I think I would I would Right, well, listen to it's, it's a cool hobby, and uh, as I said, I've watched I've watched the videos and the en- the energy. It's like a gymnastics workout set to music, really. Yes, yes, it's fantastic. It is. Robin, good luck with it, and good luck with 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 your future in Olympic cheerleading. And Sandra, thank you. Uh, her mom, uh, oh, who got her into it. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. It's a. It, 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 do you know what? As we go do this kind of hobby thing. Uh, there's so many different hobbies that people have. I was only watching again recently. I watched a couple of episodes of The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Uh, but if, and I think there's a book out, a sequel book now has been written. But chess, for example, is a huge hobby. Drafts, a huge hobby. Darts, all kinds of sports, dancing, music, you name it. People are doing it for a hobby. Keep them coming in. If you've got a, a hobby that you think we'd like to hear about, keep them coming in and we'll feature them when we have an opportunity. Come here, we opened the show this morning with an appeal for missing Corkman Kevin Lane. Last seen Wednesday morning when he left home to go to work and he would normally take the ferry across the river and go to work in Carrick Tool, driving his blue Citroen Berlingo car with a 172 Reg and Kevin is, uh, stands out because of his big bushy beard, big beautiful big bushy grey white beard and we were talking to his sister we've just been in touch with Sheila again unfortunately still no news of uh, Kevin Chris and the lads from Cork City meeting persons are out and about Uh, hopefully, hopefully there'll be news soon and just to remind you again of the details, the car he's driving is a blue Citroen Berlingo 172D12865 172D12865 If you have seen him or if you think, even if you think you've seen him or think you've seen the car Toka Guards are at 021 494 7120 You can call the Garda Confidential Line at 1-800-666-111 If he happens to be out of the car well you won't miss him with that grey beard of his uh, but he's about 6 foot tall, uh, very slim, very fit, because he runs a lot. He was wearing khaki trousers and a jumper. There's a picture on, on our Twitter, so we'd, everyone is searching for Kevin. Um, so, just reminding you again of the details before we go. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.